Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An unusual number of rare cancers has the Centers for Disease Control investigating in a community outside St. Louis, Missouri. And Benita Nyer is following that. You'll never forget the moment they tell you, you we found lesions on your lung and your liver. Mary Osco has stage four lung cancer. We met in her backyard with six of her neighbors, all of whom lived in the same North St. Louis suburbs. Every one of these people either has cancer or lost a parent or child to it. It was just loaded with kids and it was young families. We all played outside, played flashlight tag and kicked the can, you know. Their neighborhood park is now padlocked while the Army Corps of Engineers removes low-level radioactive waste discovered beneath the topsoil. Is it in this area here? Or Janelle Wright was one of the first neighbors that noticed the common illnesses when former classmates started reconnecting on Facebook. If we did not have social media, we would never have put these pieces together. The group put together this map showing more than 2,700 instances of cancer, autoimmune disorders, and brain and thyroid tumors. Within a six-house radius, I knew four people with brain cancer, um, one a child, and one a young professor. I just thought, that is really odd. The area where they lived is called North County, which includes Hazelwood and Florissant. Coldwater Creek runs through the towns. For decades, two sites near the creek were used to store radioactive waste from America's nuclear weapons program. The waste came from St. Louis's Mallinckrodt Chemical Company which the government hired to process uranium. Tens of thousands of barrels of nuclear waste, many open to the elements, contaminated the soil and the nearby creek. What you see is an environmental health disaster unfolding slowly over decades. County Health Director Dr. Faisal Khan says identifying a true cancer cluster is very difficult, but he says what's happening in North County needs long-term study. The rates of appendix cancer, for example, which is relatively rare. We see about 800 cases across the nation year-wide. To find seven or eight cases in one zip code or one small geographic area is rather unusual. Currently, engineers are testing the rest of the 15-mile creek. It will take years to be completed, years Mary Osco doesn't have. My husband and I have had to sit down at night and have discussions on, do I want to be cremated or buried? I don't want to be buried in North County. That's one thing I've told him. I do not want to be buried where the soil is. Several residents have filed a class action lawsuit against Mallinckrodt and other companies that handled the uranium. It is very early in the legal process, and Mallinckrodt told us the company worked under the direction of the U.S. government, and at no time did Mallinckrodt own any uranium or its byproducts. The Atomic Energy Commission, which hired the cleanup companies, no longer exists. So we are seeking comment from the Department of Energy. And, Scott, we will continue to follow this story. Benita, thank you very much. Benita Nair. The Cows, Gusty Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of racism. Today's date, Monday, July 24, 2023.
three so I have been told you will have to stay tuned uh, because we could be here tomorrow have to double check confirm with our guests and or Wednesday just have to stay tuned uh, at minimum book club Thursday Sue Klebold what a hoot <laughs> related to today's broadcast wow man oh man our program for today Michael Brown Jr. that is why we are here in so many ways um, and to be specific so when the kerfuffle way back in the summer almost where we are right now of 2014 hands up don't shoot folks all remember or hopefully many people at least remember that vaguely familiar so all this is going down August 2014 we were on the air we covered had many programs in fact we we even whew, the symmetry you can go back and look so August the day after everything really unfolded a few days after he was killed we had a guest on the program from Michigan we talked about his book Arsenal of Democracy the symmetry He's talking about his book on World War II and even some of the exact similarities from today talked about the extraordinary racist protest we don't want negro workers in the factory but it's double v campaign we got to be hitler and blah, 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 blah. we just we need workers all hands on deck we need custodial workers you know you got to clean up the factory. no negros we talked about that and by the time we got to the end of the program then we talked about the melee in st louis Stunning. We had planned all of that in advance, so we had to do it. But I mean, are in, in the archives, August 2014. As a result of all of that, I started listening regularly. When I say regularly, almost daily, St. Louis Public Radio. It's been a decade. I still listen almost every day. One, that went on for so long. It took them until November of that year no true bill not going to indict anybody and then they had more disturbances in the streets so it went on so long that just became a part of my daily routine and has remained after all of this time as a result I heard about our guest for today's program and even reading her book it reminded me wow we did so much work on St. Louis as a result of the killing of Michael Brown Jr. we had as a guest on the program Philip Andrew Morton, documentary filmmaker, Spanish Lake. In fact, they released that film. That was a part of the kerfuffle in the St. Louis region. Uh, so we already had all this conflict and people are upset. Emotions are high. We want to have another film and talk about racism in the region. And in fact, everything is related. Dr. Welsing told us I've been mentioning this film way before we got to today. I've been mentioning this documentary, Spanish Lake, about how they put black people in some of the area, very areas that are talked about in this book. They put them in these locations, they being racists in the area, put black people in these areas. And then racists would come around. They would get upset. They would take their guns and shoot at the Christmas decorations of the black residents in the region. We talked with uh, Philip Andrew Moore. I could have played a sound clip of that. We talked about that with him. And I said, well, I've been mentioning that of late. Why? Isn't that the missions that we've been reading about? 
Anyway, so that's one. I'm reading this book. I told you what I do most of the time. I look at the footnotes first just to see how many people did they reference that have been guests on this program or should have been, or at least we've heard. said, oh, man, Colin Gordon, guest on the program. And what did we talk about? His book, Citizen Brown, Race, Democracy, and Inequality, Michael Brown, Jr., 2019. That was pre-Rona days, so like, oh, ancient times. Anyway, uh, also very relevant to today, Harriet A. Washington. I normally say medical apartheid today. It is a terrible thing to waste in my top 10 extraordinary work all about environmental racism, how that impacts non-white people. She mentions some of the the same themes that are discussed in this book, Love Canal and all of that, and then adding the dimension of white supremacy racism to all of that. Oh, so important. So glad we read that. And then the movie. Can you believe our timing? We plan this program in advance and then Oppenheimer comes out, does all that at the box office, got everyone talking about the bomb, World War II. And that is exactly, exactly what we're talking about in this book as though we planned it. Absolutely <laughs> stunning. And that's two days in a row where we have had a guest who in the report we talked about mentioned Oppenheimer by name. Ah, extraordinary timing. One of them wasn't even a resident of the United States, other side of the world, and they're still talking about Oppenheimer. I haven't seen the global box office numbers, but I'm sure they're big news everywhere. Anywho, specifically our guest for today, courtesy of Michael Brown Jr. She is a professor Emerita of the Educational Leadership at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Uh, She's written a number of different books. The one we will discuss today, Nuked Echoes of the Hiroshima Bomb in St. Louis. Cannot believe it. So thankful she could share a bit of her Monday evening with us. Joining us live, Dr. Linda C. Morris. Dr. Morris, you're with us. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you. And so it's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for hanging out to discuss the new book plan to coincide with the movie. I am sure uh, <laughs> anything that you would like to share with listeners about uh, who you are, the work that you do. Yes. Well, uh, I, I, I one of the pertinent things is that I grew up in North St. Louis County uh, in, in the neighborhoods where we discuss in the book. Uh, I, I do, uh, I'm a professor emerita. I typically do the history of education, but due to, uh, uh, where my research led me and also the fact that I had, uh, three family members who were likely lost, uh, due to nuclear contamination that we discussed in the book, uh, this became a, uh, a focus of my research. Uh, for three years. It took that long in part because the archives were closed during COVID. So uh, what I have tried to do is look at this, uh, at the uh, result of the nuclear contamination, particularly of North County, uh, North St. Louis County, and ask the question, how did this tragedy happen? And so that's, uh, that, that's what I'm pleased to talk about this evening. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and you got to some of your background already because this obviously dealing with 
nuclear physics and atomic energy and atomic weapons and all of that. Your background is more of an educator, uh, teaching history, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that was it. I guess did that was that intimidating in any way? I guess it doesn't sound like you come from a science background. Uh, no, no, I, I I have some science background. I'm mm. I'm I'm a certified. Uh, science teacher uh, for high school and, and middle school also. But, uh, no, historians work with with the documents, and they go in and they figure out who knew what, who was doing what, why were they doing this. So I don't purport to be uh, a hydrologist and, you know, n- know everything about the water or a physicist, but uh, what I'm coming to this, uh, this uh, subject is as a historian having looked at lots and lots of documents and reports and uh, government letters and so on, and and explaining how it was that this came to be. Mm, Awesome. Shame on me for assuming certified to teach science in school. (laughs) That is, congratulations. Wow, very impressive. Um, Okay, for folks who have not uh, seen any of your pics and such promos for the book, you are a white woman. Is that correct, Dr. Maurice? I am. I am. Awesome. Uh, let's see, I'll put it there. I'll put it there. Make sure I get everything before I get into the details of the text. Was this? You have it at the end in terms of how all of this directly impacted your family. Uh, was that yes. the genesis for wanting to do this project, or did it come from elsewhere? Yeah. Yes, it, uh, the genesis of this project was when the government admitted that uh, if you lived and played in this area of Coldwater Creek, uh, that um, during certain years, and that being in the uh, 1960s through the 1990s, uh, it is likely that you had uh, an increased risk of developing certain kinds of cancers, and and so. Once that happened, I wanted to know why. Historians don't think things happen for one reason. They think that um, several things come together to form a result, and and that is what I found uh, here. And uh, so I'd be happy to answer any questions you have and and talk about the book. Awesome, awesome. Uh, You start off giving some, I guess, acknowledgments, thanks, uh, to the you already said you had to do a lot of reading research uh, to put this project together shows in the book uh, you give some thanks uh, to the many folks who helped you get your hands on documents uh, starting with the right. state uh, historical society of Missouri uh, where I guess they had a lot of great information for you to check out one of the things I've been interested in of late uh, particularly in terms of racism uh, who were the people who were employed there who helped you get your hands on this material was it white people non-white people at the historical society well i guess um what what i was asking for mostly from the historical society was uh uh the the, um, k dry who is still living was an anti-nuclear racist uh, excuse me anti-nuclear activist and an anti-racism advocate in St. Louis County, very well known. And she collected lots of documents over her life. And for many years, they were in her basement. And people of all ethnicities and all walks (laughs) would go there and get information. And as she got older, then the State Historical Society took 
her all these things that she had saved and uh, put them, you know, uh, organized them and put them available to the public. And so what I would do is uh, go to the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and I would make the request for the boxes I want wanted online. They were kind enough to send them to me in St. Louis, and then I would uh, I would do the research and uh, 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 then send the boxes back. And so I had many many people uh, people who worked at UMSL uh, helping me there. <clears throat> but Kay Dry's background was she uh, she uh, is Jewish and uh, she's she's just very been very committed to issues of race and issues of uh, uh, nuclear or, or environmental contamination. So that's who was keeping some of the papers. But in addition, there were reports of different committees. There were uh, there was correspondence between government agencies. Uh, there was the history. I went over to the uh, the private uh, Missouri His- Historical Society, and there there were documents that gave insight into uh, uh, Af- African American folks in the region. I, I don't know if you know this, but. Uh, Africa, people of African descent were among the very first non-indigenous people living in North St. Louis County. They were initially brought in as enslaved people by the French. There were other enslaved people that were brought in by Americans after the Louisiana Purchase and after the Civil War, and I, this is a portion of my book, they established uh, communities uh, that where they founded churches and schools, and and unfortunately, many of those uh, communities are either reduced in number or not uh, not in existence today. But they had an experience with this contamination when the area was rural. Uh, then there was a period. Hang on and, a second, uh, uh, Dr. Morris, because we kind of deviated going from Going too my, fast? Oh, just a tad. And we deviated from my question, and I really didn't even get an answer. I just want to get back oh. to the historical society. So the people who yeah, were yeah. helping you put your hands on these records, were they white people working at the historical society, or were there non-white people working there who were helping they you? Were, they were people that, when I, or, when I, uh, when I ordered them from... Um, from Colombia, this was online. I did not get to see the people. I, I got to see people at UMSL in the library, and there were white people, there were black people, but the source was coming in from Colombia. And as I say, and those papers that were coming in were uh, uh, had been compiled by Kay Dry, who was Jewish. She was she classified a, as white. Uh, uh, she, I, she would. I, I think the government would cl- classify her as white, but I think she had a very proud record in U uh, City in civil rights. I see. So okay, that and and the people I didn't see, I just don't know. But I was trying to get every bit of information I could. I see. Okay, and that the reason that I think but that's I was, important. 
just, well, just the reason that I think that is important is because we've had so many guests and sometimes just getting access to those records. Wow. That can be, that can be the difference. Do you get this book done or no? Do you get the records or no? And that's right. That's right. Frequently it is a lot of white people who I think the metaphor they use is the gatekeepers uh, who are the ones holding and or uh, from James Lowen's (laughs) sundown towns, which I thought of so much reading this book, Ferguson, uh, where he talks about, dang, even sometimes you go to get those records and they're gone. That's why I said that's yeah very yeah important. well that that certainly would be disconcerting and uh, yeah but to the best of my knowledge Kay Dry was interesting in that she would collect these these uh, records and when she thought something was a little amiss and something that should be quoted she'd write gem next to it so in which she you know uh, she was she was critical of the of the government's. Uh, uh, stance on use of nuclear power. So that that's all I can tell you. And some of it was it was requesting it was was simply online. But I would introduce myself as as uh, you know a professor from the university and so on. And usually uh, you know, that was helpful uh, to me. But I can't I can't uh, speak to anybody else's experience. And and I can would certainly. Uh, respect whatever they had to say is what their experience was. For sure, for sure. In the introduction to Nuked, uh, you write, this book began with a life-changing event that only revealed its significance decades later. In September 1957, at the age of nine, I traveled with my parents and two brothers along Route 66 in our family car, a a Hudson Super Jet. The two lanes mm-hmm. of concrete and asphalt had been laid in the 1920s to connect the American heartland to the West Coast. However, by mm-hmm. 1957, Route 66 had become a cultural icon that offered, according to boosters, adventure and a path to the promised land. You go on to tell about you all's uh, relocation to Missouri with your dad's mm-hmm. work opportunities and all that good stuff. Uh, and I just thought, Wow, that is stuck. Now, again, make sure very first sentence you are, make it, or second sentence, excuse, nine years old. So, hey, not that old, but still. Right. I said, wow. Right. We live in the city of Detroit. Uh, or hang, just don't, let me finish. To... Hang on, let me finish. I just want to mm-hmm. say that September 1957, that should have resonance for lots of people for lots of reasons. That's Little Rock Crisis in Arkansas, yes? Right. 1957. Right. I remember watching it on TV, absolutely. Wow. What do you remember about watching all this? Uh, Well, it was was pretty horrifying to me that, uh, you know, kids wanted to go to school and there were these angry faces wanting to keep them out and uh, that... I, I, I didn't I didn't understand the emotions behind that, but it was it was very much in the news, yes. Do you remember your parents talking about Missouri and Arkansas are what they call contiguous states, meaning they're touching uh, if you look on the map? Do you remember what your parents had to say about all this? The National Guard had to be called in and everything? Oh, well, my parents were horrified that it was happening, too. Um, I should tell you that my father was born in Scotland and his family, when the civil rights movement was going on, uh, I remember hearing my aunt say that here she hadn't been born in this country and she was afforded rights 
that people who had, you know, lived here, built this country, were not being afforded. So that was my dad's family. My mother's uh, background was Western Oklahoma, and she, when she was in college, uh, and she she told me this story and was very animated when she said it. Uh, a, a a wonderful all black choir from another college within the states came and performed uh, and gave a beautiful performance and they were not allowed to uh, spend the night in the town where her college was. They had to ride the bus at night and go all the way back across the state. And my mother said she was so offended by that and she was on the student council and the next student council meeting she stood up and talked about how uh, how outrageous that was. So that was where they were coming from, and uh, I'm sure that influenced. But I don't think you had to hear that to see those well-dressed children just wanting to go to school and those angry faces, you know. So that's where I was coming from. Yeah, that's where I was coming from. Context of white supremacy for sure. Uh, with the, Wow, we got kind of a two for one there with the once again the sundown towns i said that's such a important book that's i'm right. so glad we read it because that what she just told us or at least her mom's side of it what she just said that is exactly what i don't care how great you sing how cute you oh they've got nice robes. Right. Ah, 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 ah. when the she sun- said it was horrible yeah so, anyway here. yeah that really happened that really yeah. happened and, widespread. and she told me that when i was a child Mm-hmm. widespread across the so-called country, particularly in the North, uh, James Lowen wrote, not a one-off uh, thing, but that right there, wow, so important. But then back to the school component with uh, 1957, September, exactly where you start the book at. I thought, especially mm-hmm. given what you talk about and how you have a whole chapter about how this the, the race, racial component to this nuclear waste in St. Louis like not a sentence about dang just for context like oh dang this momentous u.s moment in history while we're moving to missouri contiguous to arkansas like you did did you have a thought about maybe i should at least say something about what we were thinking about all this or no not enough time well i mean we had thought about and discussed it before i as i recall i thought we we discussed before we left detroit but anyway i'd have to check the month but no i hadn't thought about including that in the book but but i would certainly take it under advisement now as i reflect you know you write something and then people give you suggestions and you reflect on that so thank you can't include everything in the book just wanted to no, that's good. Check. Uh let's see. Yeah. So you get kind of into some of the details of how St. Louis gets involved in this bomb making yeah, the bomb making business for World War Two. Uh can you give us I guess some of the details and make sure I can do my pronunciations. Is it the Malincraut? Is that how you say it? Malincraut? Malincraut, yes. Malincraut. Well yes. <clears throat> the making of the bomb. In, that's, that St. Louis was involved in actually began in Africa in a place called uh, the Belgian Congo, which had the purest uranium any place in the world. And what was going on in the United States is in well, 1940, Adolf Hitler overran Europe, including Belgium. And our, the U.S. and Britain's intelligence were getting feedback that the Germans were doing uh, research in this area uh, toward production of this 
you know, it could be a, a very damaging weapon. And so, uh, then they, the, uh, the government was very concerned to try to beat Hitler to this. And so what happened was, uh, there were, uh, experiment, there was an experiment that they wanted to conduct at the University of Chicago that would be the first self-sustaining nuclear uh, reaction uh, conducted by uh, Enrico Fermi. And, uh, but to do this, they needed 40 uh, tons of uh, pure uranium. And uh, there was only half a cup of pure uranium in the country. And so the best place to get it was Belgium. And so they negotiated with the Belgian government in exile in England to let the U.S. get this uranium, you know, receive this uranium out of the Congo. This is something that was uh, neglected for very many years, uh, the contributions and the tragedy of the Congolese workers who worked around the clock to mine that uranium at great personal injury to themselves. And it was sent to the United States. It was shipped once a month to Staten Island. It was secretly shipped across uh, to St. Louis in cattle cars. And there, St. Louis at Malincrot was refining the uranium. So it would be usable for a Fermi's experiment. And this was splitting the, you know, splitting the atoms. So if that succeeded, they could expect to make, be able to produce this bomb. And so that happened. It was all top secret. And once that happened, we refined more and more and more uranium. But here's the catch. The Belgians let us get the uranium out of the Congo, but the agreement was that after we'd taken the uranium out of an ore called pitchblende, they wanted the wastes and residues uh, because there was value of other metals and elements there. And so we were supposed to store it. Well, there wasn't enough room at Malincrot. And so starting in 1946, after the war, there was a constant parade of trucks taking this highly radioactive material to a property, 22-acre property, next to the St. Louis Municipal Airport, which at that time was in a rural area next to Coldwater Creek. Unfortunately, the land slope, this stuff was stored uh, enormous amounts in barrels just uh, on the ground, and uh, it got into the creek and for decades contaminated the creek and, uh, and uh, was exposing radiological contamination to the North County communities as the creek made its way to its mouth at the Missouri River. Let's That's pause what right happened. There. We'll pause okay. right there to get some of the details, and then we can move a little bit more forward in the story. Uh, so yeah. these are things that are happening kind of mid-20th century, uh, right middle of World War II, kind of all hands on deck about this. I want to go back to the the Congolese aspect uh, of all yeah. of this. You kind of touched on it at the beginning and the plight of right. the workers. Uh, and this is uh, at the so this is colonial Congo, uh, the Belgian. That's Congo exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Who are and having, it was 
are they, no, go ahead. Are these, I was going to ask, so are these black workers who are having to go and do all this backbreaking work in these mines to get this uranium, this super pure yes. uranium? Yes, and many years, many, many years went by uh, before there was any acknowledgement of, of what they did. And there's a British historian wrote a wonderful book, which I used as a source, called Spies in the Congo. And so she talked about that and the agreement and the intrigue involved in getting. But, yes, it was the Congolese workers. And people today, uh, many people see that mine in the Congo and Hiroshima as twin communities that suffered that uh, Terrible tragedy from uranium, yes. Wow. Oh, wait a minute. Did, did they have, what sort of health ramifications did the black workers in the Congo have as a result of this work? I, Are you... My impression is it was very poor. And uh, I, 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 I do not have a lot of detail other than they worked uh, very hard, very bad conditions, exposed to that uranium, and uh, production was going round the clock. Uh, let me add that it didn't stop. Our uranium refinement did not stop with the creation of the, uh, the dropping of the bomb in Hiroshima and the end of the war, because after that there was the Cold War, and uh, and where we were stockpiling lots of nuclear weapons. So it wasn't just what was produced for one bomb; it continued which is why it became such an environmental hazard. Mm. Now that is context of white supremacy. The book, try to encourage the reading, the book she told us, Spies in the Congo, America's Atomic Mission in World War II by Susan Williams. Put that one on the book list for sure, Spies mm-hmm. in the Congo. Uh, I normally mm-hmm. ask this one at the beginning of the program, but I deliberately put it here because I said, wow, we get the information about the the suffering in the Congo mine. got even more than I thought that. And then keeping in mind now this bomb, the only nuclear bombs that were dropped in World War II were on Japan. Keep in mind also in my top 10, Dr. Gerald Horn's book, Race War, the whole thesis, the whole region, Japan enters this war fight against white supremacy racism that's why they're here in the first place we normally ask and that's not a book i have uh, i have not read that particular book but there is there are sources exploring uh uh the racial element in the second world war and how uh white americans uh view germans differently than japanese Mm. for reasons of race that's that's i have you know read that many times so uh, yeah, race plays into it, of course. It, it is the center of it. It's race war. That's the name of Dr. Gerald Horn's book in my top yeah. ten. And in fact, oh my gosh, I'm not old enough. One of the things is so many things. We went through the footnotes and all on that one. Just the word Jap. Now it's almost. I feel anybody if they talk about World War II and they don't use the term Jap. They are not really being truthful for the way that things were talked about and the reality. I mean, they talk about authenticity. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I think it was jap, 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 jap. Oh, my. Even after the war. That's why we read The Man in the High Castle. It was Tojo and Jap and all this. And whew, 
Anywho, race war, I normally ask mm-hmm. at the beginning our definition for racism, white supremacy, because that helps us understand everything. I use mm-hmm. the term racism and the term white supremacy as synonyms, and I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I mm-hmm. use is as follows a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Well, I I think certainly there are many, many, many people who would uh, fall, uh, would be examples for what you just said. Absolutely, that's that's, uh, apparent. Uh, In terms of how I would uh, define a term, I have to think about it and... and, uh, but yes, there there are there are lots of people who uh, classify themselves as white and uh, others as other, <laughs> and are non-white. Yes, I, I think I think you're uh, correct there. That exists, sure. Okay. I just want to make sure I got got the question. Make sure you heard it. So, the definition: a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. I'm not saying are there a few people who are classified. I'm saying is that the system that dominates Earth is that definition accurate? That's the question uh, I ask. You know, I always have trouble saying that one thing dominates Earth. You know, I, 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 I probably, just as a historian, would would uh, have trouble saying. I, I I think there are probably variations of intensity, uh, depending on where you are on Earth and who we're talking about. But I, I, I will accept if, if that's the definition that you find uh, uh, works for you. you is, if, you, if you define your terms and you go forward, then that's a very honest way of approaching it. I'm just trying to use uh, logic and evidence to figure things out. Yeah. Cause one of the big terms in your book is obfuscate. Uh, what, I guess we'll do it this way. Yeah. One, All right. are, you, are you aware of any locations on the planet where individuals classified as white are subject to people who are not white, meaning they have less power, they get pushed around, abused because they are white. Are you aware of any place on the planet where that's mm. the case? Uh, not in my life experience, no. Okay. I, would I, I, do I know all cultures of the world, you know, every single instance? Well, I don't, but not in my, uh, not, not in my life experience, no. I'm still learning myself. Uh, do you yourself, since this book, Racism, you got a whole chapter there, uh, do you yourself have a definition for racism? Um, I, I, again, uh, I would have to think about it. It might probably be pretty long and, and uh, ponderous, you know, because I'm, 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 that's how we get when we're uh, 
uh, scholars, but um, I think what I, 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 for sure, what I was, I, I call out things as racist, and I can give examples of that, sure. And there was systematic uh, racism in the treatment of, of African Americans in St. Louis. No question about it. So what my book does is is talk about uh, the the first people uh, who um, a black and I, I I make some reference to Native Americans, but I, I'm. I'm, I'm looking at current uh, North St. Louis County. I'm talking more about uh, uh, African Americans. Uh, whether you're talking about the colonial period in the United States or the, the westward movement or whether in St. Louis you're talking about where people got to live in a system, and I will call this a system of uh, uh, a combination of covenants and uh uh, uh, laws and court decisions and uh, so on uh, and just practices, you know, uh, and ordinary uh, restrictive covenants so that people couldn't live where they wanted to, to live. It was a very uh, sad uh, history for St. Louis, a practice, real estate practices, steering, you know, and so on. And it actually, I, I point this out, it wasn't until 1968. In, and I'm talking about North County. There was a landmark Supreme Court decision, and it was uh, uh, Jones versus Mayer. Up until that time, uh, African Americans who would go to buy a house in North County, because at that point there were a whole lot of white people living there, the population had exploded, they would be told, no, we don't sell to you. You know, it was just that uh, coarse and, and direct. No niggas, but after probably. 19- <laughs> you yeah, well, said coarse <laughs> and direct. I think it would have probably been closer well, to I, that in yeah, many incidents. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, and I think I quote uh, uh, Clarence Harmon, who reportedly, he later became a black mayor of St. Louis, wanted to buy a home in North St. Louis County from the mayor company. And he was told, in, that, in, in this instance, he was told, we don't sell to Negroes, but there's a Supreme Court case that's going to tell us if we're going to. And so that was the last day of the Warren Court. And, that, and uh, in that sense, it relates to Little Rock, all right, because the Warren Court was Brown versus the Board of Education and these, you know, these decisions that helped move things forward. And uh, that court, that Supreme Court on Earl Warren's last day cited uh, civil rights legislation from Reconstruction and basically said people cannot be discriminated against uh, uh, in real estate or where they live and so on, and that changed a lot. And so if, if you're looking at the Coldwater Creek watershed, you, you start out with uh, enslaved people who, frankly, uh, um, among other things, cultivated the land and it was some of the best farmland in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then after the Civil War, then uh, after Reconstruction, 
then you get this uh, discrimination in small communities of African Americans persevering in the face of all this. I'll pause and, you right there, uh, just because all yeah. of this thing we were. Uh, the question that I asked was about definitions. You did not have a definition for racism. You did I not can, agree I can with come my, up hang, on, when, hang on, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're interrupting. Just let me finish my <laughs> point. Right. And we got the laughing here because nothing here is funny. I just want to point out all of this been, uh, came from my asking her about my definition, which she did not agree with. No problem there. It happened before. She does not have a definition of her own, and she's an educator. Now, that's kind of a, ooh, and you got a whole well, chapter in I your book. I could come up Hang with Hang on a second. You're interrupting. <laughs> Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Yeah. She does not have a definition for racism. That's when I always highlight. You have so many people who talk about this subject matter with no definition. I humbly submit. I do not have scientific certification at all. Can't even spell science. However, I have taken a physics class, biology class, chemistry class every time without fail you take one of these classes even middle school you get a book you go to the end glossary just like in this book nuked they tell what is biology Whoop. a lot of times to even pass the test to get out of these classes gotta have addition definition what do you mean when you say physics what do you mean when you say chemistry what do you mean when you say biology racism is the only science which Lots of people do this and no definition at all. But okay. they know well, mine let me come is back not at you then. Hang, hang on one second. Can, hang on one I second. Can define hang on some one things. second. All right. Hang on one because you're still interrupted. If you want to write it down and give it to us, that's totally fine. Even that, though, I would point out like, wow, you published many books. You're an educator. That's not the process. They don't do it that way in the physics class where they ad hoc come up with the definition. What do you mean for acceleration? Ooh. Let me see. Uh, they don't do it that way. It's already thought out. They know that this is important to make sure that we understand these concepts are serious. Again, they don't do that with racism. Just okay. That well, out let, me important. let me come back and hang, explain. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. All right. I want to get back to the point with the book. If, like I said, now, if you want to come back and share, No, no. Totally I want fine. to respond to this because it's a very important hang point. On. I know that, but I don't want an ad hoc. I, remember I when I told you that definition. race, I would hang have on a, a second. Have, I'd come up with a long definition. Hang up a second, Dr. Maurice. You're interrupting. I let you talk, Dr. Maurice. Dr. Maurice, I'm totally going to let you respond, but hang on, Dr. Let's try to do it this way. When I'm right. talking, please do not interrupt me. I'm allowing you to speak to answer questions, and I don't talk over you. You've done that repeatedly, and sometimes it's you'll talk for a really long time. I'll try to pause you and just get in five words, and you immediately talk over me. That is so discourteous, and that's the type of thing I generally point out. White people practice racism in that way, and hushing black people... <laughs> and not letting us speak. So let's be courteous. I'm going to let you speak, and you allow me to speak. I'm going to get back to the book, yes. and like I said, I'm going to yes, give you time I... to share your definition. You could do so later on, but we could move past. We bogged down. Well, We've got other things in the book. If you say I have no definition, 
and actually, it was more complicated. I just wanted to get we, that in. We heard that. Thank you. Let's move okay. forward. Thank and, you. And Back I, to Newt. My husband will tell you I do the same with him. So okay. well, I'll work this is on not it. the husband. This is not the <laughs> husband. Thank you. Back to the yes. book. Okay. One of the main points that you talk about in the uh, text nuked is mm-hmm. obfuscation. <laughs> obfuscation right on cue, and even some of the racism is right in with that. Uh, This is on page 23, The Secret Weapon. In the addition to Mellon Crotic, I think that's it, St. St. Louisans recognized other local industries that contributed substantially to U.S. victory in World War II. Aircraft companies at Lambert St. Louis Municipal Airport, next to the dump site, produced 3,000 military planes in the northwest portion of the city, workers at the St. Louis Ordnance Plant made 6.7 billion 30 and 50 caliber cartridges for rifles and machine guns, beginning production only nine days after the Pearl Harbor attack. At its peak, the plant employed 35,000 people in 300 buildings and bunkers. Half of the employees were women, white, and the workforce was organized in shifts that kept production going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When the plant employed African Americans solely for janitorial and support work, 300 black protesters marched on June 30, 1942, seeking better paying production jobs. Managers initially agreed to introduce a segregated production line. However, production became fully integrated in December 1944 at the federal government's assistance and over the objections of some white workers. Eventually, some U.S. citizens had second thoughts about the way the war ended. American George Weller was the first foreign journalist to enter Nagasaki after the atomic bomb had dropped there. He reported how Japanese doctors were puzzled by an undiagnosed atomic illness that was killing patients who outwardly appeared to have escaped the bomb's effects. Weller's stories were censored and considered lost until his son published them in 2006. I'm skipping down just a teaspoon. Groves wanted no depiction of atom bombs as uniquely terrible, no public discussion of what became known as radiological warfare. Unfortunately, Times science reporter William L. Lawrence advanced the government's propaganda while supplementing his newspaper salary through payments from the Manhattan Project. Lawrence's coverage was countered by black war correspondents Charles H. Loeb, who described how bursts of deadly radiation had sickened and killed Hiroshima's residents. Loeb's articles were distributed across the United States by the National Negro Publishers Association. Plug for the black journalists. I think this is so important. One, here you got many anecdotes of the racism that you were talking about in a myriad of different forms and that obfuscation. I think this is a big point of your book, unless I missed it. The Well, I'll say the secrecy that this starts with, that leads to a total lack of safeguard because you have lots of people who are really poorly informed about what have you dumped here? What is all of this? Can you speak? And we got the racism right in there too, but can you speak to that portion, Dr. Maurice? Well, yes, I can. I think, I think it's, it's uh, the description you just read explains it. Uh, 
under the uh, just the alleged justification of national security, uh, things were kept in secret. That's why people in North St. Louis County didn't know they were living in some cases in dangerous circumstances for the reasons you've just quoted from my book. You have more of these anecdotes where the racism goes right in hand with the with lying. I think that's lying about all of this and the, the safety hazard of all of this. This is a little bit further down the deposit. This is on page 31 of her book, Newt. Spillage from delivery trucks was a common occurrence and the public remained unaware of the risks involved. For example, on March 2nd, 1953, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch carried an article titled radioactive dirt on highway came from chemical works the story describes a dump truck accident at what was then the highway 66 bypass two miles north of the airport the driver stated that when the car ahead of him suddenly slowed down he swerved and overturned in a ditch spilling his cargo while reporting that the upset material came from a project of the atomic energy commission the Post-Dispatch communicated official assurances that the dirt was not dangerous. Following the accident, the dirt was washed from the road by the all-black volunteer fire department of Robertson, Missouri, only because it was a hazard to motorists. I'm sure they got all of the hazmat material and personal protective equipment that they needed uh, for the black people, even to go get that... <laughs> the layers of racism uh, in the story but this also is a big part of it how they'll have these dump sites next to the airport and what have you uh, but which spillage uh, leakage uh, in a variety of forms whether it's from flooding wind other weather <laughs> driving down the road and spilling out of the trucks and the children are coming to play with it can, can kind of I don't even know what you the recklessness the uh lack of safety protocol with the handling of all of this radioactive waste, Dr. Maurice? Yes, that is that is correct, and that affected uh, a lot of different populations. Those trucks went from just north of downtown, through the North City, through Jennings, up Halls Ferry Road, down Highway 67. Things spilled uh, in different communities, and yes, I, I uh, made a point on the Robertson Fire uh, Department being asked to clean it up that only because it was a hazard to motorists. That was in the paper. And of course, you know, they were exposed to all kinds of things. And there, that, that's another thing that records were not kept of cancer. Cancer was not reported. Uh, and so it took a while for, uh, uh, and, and terrible carelessness, yes. So um, all of that happened. All of that happened through, through all of those communities. Okay. Tell us, I guess now, give us some of the details. We win. They drop the bomb. Oppenheimer gets to celebrate. They nuke the Japs, uh, win the war. You have all of these soldiers coming back and the prosperity uh, and affluence of white people uh, that dramatically changes what what do we call this, the suburbs, northern St. Louis, what this area looks about, this rapid post-war expansion? Yes, and I make a point of saying that African Americans did not, in most cases, get to participate in that general affluence because uh, 
new subdivisions were going in and GIs were getting loans for those homes and as I mentioned before the homes would be would be sold to them and uh, uh, and often uh, the, the GI loans were not generally as beneficial to African Americans yes it was not it was not fair in the ways that I describe in the book you our word fair for our cows regular cows listeners uh you talk about the so much of this is environmental racism i can't believe this subject matter we had totally ignored for so long you talk about the development that came with all of this so many of the things because hey we don't have to live close into the city we can live way out so we can do more driving that means you have to expand the highway system and what have you and putting on even the way that these houses were developed uh, in uh, earth movers. That's the term that you use. Earth movers. They come right. and just move, knock everything down. And, oh, the creek is in the way. Oh, we'll move the creek. Nah, put concrete down and all of this, that that had a dram- I mean, talk about changing. That had a dramatic, uh, at least from what I read in your book, it seems like a, a harmful impact on the environment. Is that, can you give us some of the details? Definitely. Detail? Okay. Okay. Definitely. It wasn't an energy conserving environment uh you know uh, heating windows were large and let let the heat escape and uh and what was happening with coldwater creek is that every time it flooded then uh sediment uh, was was used in sculpting those suburban yards uh earth movers disturbed the soil and so people were breathing uh, uh radionuclides without knowing it uh, and what happened, I had mentioned that earlier, that was some of the best farmland in America. Uh, it was turned over, uh, excuse me, under for, uh, and clay on the top. And, uh, so the fertility of the land was not as good. You could go on and on. Uh, but people saw it as, you know, there were these dreams of people having their own home and an, an, a, a, a certain number of people it, it was depicted as, as as progress and even during the war when americans uh, had things rationed they were promised that there are all these new discoveries that are going to come out from our wartime research and life's going to be so much better and so there was a uh there was a, a general enthusiasm in in many of the publications you can see and seeing this as progress. But in fact, we know today that there were a number of things that were not good uh, going on. Yes. At this period, is there not, because that's one of the things you get at repeatedly in the text. So at this period, we're talking 1950s, uh, going into the 1960s, is there knowledge that yeah, this might be a health problem. Maybe we should be concerned about this. Is this what? What's the knowledge level at this point? Uh, I would say. Well, I, here, here's, here was the knowledge level. Most historians think the environmental movement in the United States didn't start until the 1970s. Okay, so uh, and uh, so I think the knowledge level was not that great the awareness of the environment although i say in the book that people in st louis had an, a, a little better understanding of air pollution and water pollution than they did land pollution they thought that 
industrial waste like was coming out of Mallinckrodt was something that stayed in the factory. And they were aware of air pollution because during the 40s, uh, St. Louisans were burning Illinois coal, which was, you know, polluting. And there were there points during the 1940s that people couldn't see across the street. To, and so then they knew they had a problem. But they couldn't see this stuff in, in Coldwater Creek. And they didn't see the mounds and mounds of things on the land that was seeping into the creek. And so that was, uh, that was some of the last, uh, area where there was general knowledge that maybe they should pay attention to it. Hmm. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. In, uh, oh, the, I just said earth movers. I don't think I'd seen that term before. Uh, this is in Chapter 3 of uh, Dr. Maurice's book, Nuked. She writes, um, skipping the first few sentences of the paragraph. Here we go. It was former CB William Levitt, who in 1951 built over 17 thousand houses in the ranch and Cape Cod styles, constructing them in mass on 1,000 acres of former potato fields. This community, Levittown, New York, came to epitomize large-scale post-war residential suburbs. Federal legislation also aided new home construction. The GI Bill of 1944 built on existing federal mortgage subsidies to give new veterans zero down payment loans for new homes. Additionally, the federal Aid Highway Act of 1956 encouraged suburban commuting by providing 90% subsidies for highway construction. The suburbs received yet another boost in the 1954 Internal Revenue Code, which made it more profitable to build new construction on greenfield sites than to, to reuse existing places. The end result was a significant altering of the U.S. landscape during the post-war years. In North St. Louis County, environmental factors caused the Cold Water Creek watershed and fluorescent in particular to be attractive to home builders. Just when I was going back and looking at that, like, man, this does not really, it's not stated explicitly. You do have the chapter later on that this is really white people that we're talking about. Black people are, are pretty much excluded from a lot of this by St. Louis at large. Yes. Yes, I do say at, that during this period that North St. Louis County was overwhelmingly white, and a lot of the reason was because the the discrimination that I talked about that was in operation until that Supreme Court that that not that discrimination didn't still occur, but the Jones versus Mayer case of the su- Supreme Court in 1968 uh, allowed. Uh, that to begin to change right and you later on like I said you have the whole chapter that's later on in the book I'm just stating from what I read right there it's I mean all of this is that's white supremacy racism Levittown they have whole books about that that's white people exclusively like all of this would have to be stated that this is for white people all of this allowing in the subsidies this is explicit government federal subsidizing of white supremacy yes. for white people to do yes. all of this. Yes, and, and I do say that, I, I, I don't have the, the text right in front of me, but I do say that that, that, that part of St. Louis County and those uh, years were overwhelmingly white, middle income, and I say 
that uh, uh, that the government subsidies were not available to African Americans, and I recount the experience of Mr. Jones and of Clarence Harmon. And so, if you read the whole thing, it's very clear. And and this changes later in the book by 2000. Then, uh, after the 2000 census, the federal government. Uh, uh, designated the Coldwater Creek watershed as an environmental justice watershed based on uh, people uh, uh, people who were poor, people who were uh, members of uh, minority groups who were living there. And I don't know what their cutoff was, but that was their designation. And I, I've given stats there in the book for what the uh, what the uh, African American population is in each of those municipalities, and a little bit earlier, you know, the early 19th century, about 20 percent of the people, as I say, in North St. Louis County in St. Ferdinand Township, where Florissant is, uh, was, uh, they were uh, of African descent. So I, I try to get uh, provide that context so people know. Who they're ta- who we're talking about here, depending on the time. I see. I, I think I did say you do have the chapter later on that gives a lot more explicit detail about the treatment of black people. But the portion of the text that I just read to listeners, it does not in any way state explicitly from Levittown through these are four white people. This is white people. It's just not there. I think that could have been stated right. I guess if you want to think of it as an edit, could have been stated right there explicitly because yeah, I, I thought I had it, but I'll go back and look again. over the it. Interrupting I'm is happy happening to. again. Happy uh, to look at that. That happens pretty frequently where white people are not explicitly identified uh, and or racism is not explicitly identified. Like I said, they just had a whole, I think, tacky Netflix series on Levittown uh, and how that was all same thing just for white people, racism, white supremacy, whole pride. And, government subsidized white supremacy racism uh skipping ahead a little bit further uh in the text nuked uh so now moving down bureaucratic blues now try to learn a little bit about everything i'm not an expert on nuclear history man oh man doctor and this is not even st louis but wow i'm glad she included some of the details in the book i did read it cover to cover what in the world is the Quaker Oats study at the Walter E. Fernald State School in Waltham, Massachusetts? What is that one, Dr. Maurice? That was, as I recall, they were trying to, they were, that was an example of experiments or unauthorized uh Things that were done to people, uh, in this case, children. Do you have the Do you have the page yes, there? Ma'am. I've got my book now. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Seventy-one. Bureaucratic blues. Page seventy-one, second paragraph. All right. I can read it for folks while you're flipping. No, no, oh. I've got I've oh, got okay. it right here. Okay. The National Institutes of Health. Well, you know what that is. That's a big government agency, and the Quaker Oats Company. And, you know, some MIT scientists participated, and uh, these were children who uh, were in this study, but they were 
labeled at the time as mentally retarded, and the sources say that happened uh, that was done incorrectly. And they were they did a study on how the body absorbs iron, calcium, and other minerals in food, and they did it with pluto uh, well not plutonium injections here, but uh, uh, it, it didn't give any health benefit. It was simply experimenting on them and finding out stuff. And my point was I was showing how even some of the biggest institutions were just uh, disregarding, uh, you know, you didn't have to get permission. And, of course, uh, y- you probably know uh, that when you get into this subject, and, and this is uh, this is not was not the main subject of the book, but for example, the Tuskegee experiments, horrible, uh, you know, people, treatment was withheld to African Americans, uh, uh, to you know, and uh, this was this was done, and and they, it was to, to see the effects of syphilis. So this was this stuff was done to people, and. Uh, we can't do that anymore. I know professors who are doing research have to go through, you know, they have to go through training and and go through tutorials and and uh, learn about this and so to learn what they can do and what they can't do. But there was a really cavalier attitude toward people and uh, doing things to them and not necessarily telling them. So that's that was an example. Of uh, some of the kinds of things that happened. Mm. She writes at the end of that paragraph to encourage participation. The boys were told they would be part of a science club and would receive special treatment, such as trips to baseball games and extra portions of milk at meals. <laughs> like, right. This is for plutonium injections for children. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> This is this is you know it's totally offensive. It should never have happened. It did happen, and I'm acknowledging it so people can get a sense of some of the things that occurred. Period. Mm. Not St. Louis history or even Missouri history, but wow, that is reading more important. Well, mm-hmm. yes, but keep in mind this is this is the Manhattan Project and dealing with our nuclear weapons. And so I make the point that this didn't just happen in St. Louis. In fact, at the end of the book, I talk about other communities not in St. Louis that were similarly affected. What they have in common is, is the Manhattan Project, you know, and the, then the uh, four agencies that followed them, that uh, even though it was a different <laughs> name, the secrecy, you know, the wanting to uh, win the war, the disregard for people, the false assurances of safety, all of that, you know, was part of the culture. Oh, for sure. For sure. We all, all hands on deck type of thing. We got to be Hitler and the Japs. We got to be Tojo and them, like, for sure. But, wow, the death, reckless disregard for children and safety in general. Like, that's such a... A huge, right on cue, reckless disregard. All right, so we need a plus. Need a favor here. Like this, I thought was so so important. We have homies who work for the Environmental Protection Agency. In fact, even before I get to this question, since you brought it up, I did read mm-hmm. all the way to the end, Doctor Maurice. Man, we have been studying Columbine for months. 
do you know I mm-hmm. cracked up laughing one I already knew about Rocky Flats before reading your book because we've been studying Columbine for a long time that's one two oh. Uh, once I read, I still learned quite a bit. I said, wow, this is the second time in a totally unrelated case that we have heard about Jefferson County officials lying to the public on important safety matters. Like what in the world? Like Jefferson County, you have the worst reputation ever. Every time I hear about them, it's for lying and lying about huge things. Like, oh, no, we didn't know about Eric Harris building bombs. No, we didn't know nothing about oh no it's safe what do you mean rocky flats is dangerous what no we didn't we didn't know nothing <laughs> like did did i read that correctly jefferson county officials lying about rocky flats health hazards yeah uh well i didn't i didn't know that you would have come across that with Columbine, so that's interesting to me well it's the same it, they you talked did i read that you said that they were worried because they didn't uh, they were incorrect about the wind patterns around Rocky Flats. Yes. And they said, oh, my goodness, we've made such an error. We might destroy the whole city of Denver, if not the whole state of Colorado. Didn't I read that? That was a concern. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, they they made a misjudgment. And just like, uh, you know, putting the uh, in St. Louis, putting the, those deposits next to Coldwater Creek was a gross error in the choice of a site, you know. Uh, not not that there's a good place, but that was one of the worst. Uh, a creek that's going to flow uh, 14 miles to the Missouri River beyond that deposit site. So yes, and so my point was, this wasn't just St. Louis. By bringing in a few of these examples, for sure, I was just stunned. And, and if you know Columbine. I think anybody in the world, if you even know anything about Columbine, somebody says Jefferson County official, you're everything. Radar and antenna should be what, what, what? And particularly if it's (laughs) Jefferson County official and then followed by malfeasance, deception, like, oh, God, not like, oh, no, no, no. We thought we were done with all that. Not at all. Uh, Anywho, so this was back to my point. Wow. So this one, we really need like your best scholarly response, Dr. Maurice. So this one, you write about the distinction between environmental education mm-hmm. as opposed to environmental information. What is mm-hmm. the difference between the two? Well, I, I, uh, what I'm doing there is being critical of the EPA, because they uh, they take a point of view that I disagreed with, as you know, if you've read, uh, between what environmental education is, which they say should not take a point of view and is about learning problem-solving methods. And I talk about in uh, in, in the field of education that there are steps in, in uh, how people learn, and there are steps in growing sophistication of their learning. And the first step is information, and that getting information is learning. So uh, I, I think, so I would say in, in education about the environment includes getting uh, information. 
it is not limited to that. Of course, you want to learn how to problem solve and so on, arrive at conclusions. But uh, I think that was is a false dichotomy that they were drawing. So that was my point of view there. And uh, if something is important, you you for sure want to be sharing the information, which this is. And it's becoming more apparent daily how important the climate and the environment is for us. So that would be my, my view. And I'm quoting Benjamin Bloom, you know, and I'm, but hopefully what I just said made it clear. Getting new information is learning. It is education. It's not confined to that, but it is that, too. That's a piece of it. Hmm. You write, uh, in cases where lives are at risk, it is unthinkable that an educator would adopt a neutral view. Moreover, in an environmental crisis shrouded in secrecy, I think that's so important. That's a huge theme of the book. Acquiring information is essential to becoming educated. It is impossible to think critically, solve problems or make decisions without factual knowledge. Finally, while professional educators readily teach the higher-order thinking skills that Environmental Protection Agency associates with environmental education, they also view the acquisition of information as an important part of the learning process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think you have lots of non-white people. And, or I'll just uh, put it this way. The, the citizens of, at this point, 2023, the citizens of the St. Louis metropolitan area at large, how informed do you think they have become about all of these issues? I, I know certainly there's been a growth. They've got documentaries in your book and, and such. How informed do you think people have become in that area? I, I think there's much uh, much more information to be shared. Uh, it, it is being discussed more than it was, but uh, it's it's really interesting to me. Uh, sometimes, as people hear about an incident, they kind of see it as particular. Say to Jana School, we'll take her as an example. That was one of the cases that's come up recently, and 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 that's important to be aware of a particular incident, but I would like them to understand that, that this is part of a much larger, much larger thing that we have to be attentive to. And that's why in the last part of the book, I show how similar things happened, not just in St. Louis, but in these other communities, Jefferson County, Colorado, in the Pacific Northwest, in Hanford, Washington, and so on, Paducah, Kentucky, uh, where you know the citizens didn't know the risks. There were uh, false assurances that they were safe. Uh, uh, there was secrecy, and so on. And uh, so th- there is more. There's more to be learned all the time. And that was my motivation for writing this book and in talking to groups I talked to, is to increase. Uh, understanding and, and, and get them to go further. There is a group now of three different agencies of journalists who have uh, got from the Department of Energy just very recently through the uh, 
Freedom of Information Act, a whole cache of newly and, and, and new, new classified documents that have been seen before, and they are in the process of of writing that series. And those agencies are uh, the Associated Press, uh, a, a publication called Muckrack, and the third is the Missouri Independent. So we each do our part of this, and the process goes on. But that's how that's how you make people more aware, I think. And I appreciate your uh, looking at my book this evening. Try to do our best. Uh, See, before we let you enjoy the rest of your Monday, uh, listeners have a question they want to get in from Dr. Maurice, uh, star six one, and we'll get your quick question in. Uh, There was a different portion of the book where I said the same thing I said before. Now you have the book in front of you. So you know that I'm, you know, being truthful about what I'm saying here. Right. Uh, chapter five, this is on page uh, 90. And I would encourage folks to try to learn as much as they can, because man, Hanford, I'm in Seattle, Washington. I did not know a lot of details about the Hanford situation here in Washington state. Like, Oh my God. Now oh, I'm you're not... in, you're... Yes. I'm you're in, in Seattle. Seattle. Huh? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's uh, right. Oh, West- yeah, there's lots going on at Hanford for you to learn about. See, see, I didn't, and that now that <laughs> is on the west, the eastern part of the state, so that's not really close to me. It's like four hours away, but still, uh, you know, I, sh- I should yeah. know about that. I've been here a long time. I should not be ignorant about that. Uh, learn something about everything. Uh, but you wrote, this is, so this is chapter five, page 90. So you come back to Love Canal and talking about this is a widespread problem, not just the Missouri thing. Same thing I just said. Uh, like the mm-hmm. advocates at Coldwater Creek and Three Mile Island, they had initially difficulty getting officials to listen and they employed a range of tactics. Unlike Coldwater Creek campaigners, the women at Love Canal were largely homemakers with no college education, public relations experience, or administrative background. Nevertheless, they formed the backbone of a formidable grassroots movement. Historian Richard S. Newman contends that their path to activism stemmed from their domestic roles. He explains most neighborhood women became activists because they felt their sphere of influence, the home, was under siege. In studying women's experience with environmental justice and activism, researcher Karen Bell finds they are more likely to experience inequality, inequity and have less control over environmental decisions than men. Bell suggests the injustices occur because women have lower incomes and are perceived as having less social status than men. However, many female leaders in the Coldwater Creek Facts Group had respected credentials or a well-paying job. While reluctant to view themselves as activists, these women displayed confidence in their skills. Many no longer lived in the creek's watershed, but saw themselves as defending present and former neighbors, friends, and family members with whom they maintained contact through social media and other venues. This is similar to what I said before, particularly because you mentioned Love Canal and you give some of the descriptions, uh, the demographics of this group in terms of education and public relations and all of that. Love Canal is another one of these white communities. And that's the, hey, 
these are white women. It doesn't matter that they don't have a college degree and all that. And the reason I know this one, we've talked about this. Like I said, we do not have an F in environmental racism anymore. Harriet A. Washington points this out specifically and holds this up. We know about Love Canal. We being, that is mainstream society. Large numbers of people know about environmental injustice and Love Canal. Why? That happened to white people. She points out Aniston, Alabama. And it's, huh? 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 Why is that? Black people, even the portion about women having less power than men, that's when I point out all the time. I know you don't mean people like Dr. Bullard are in charge of environmental decisions. I know that's not what you mean, so it would have to be at minimum white men. That's who women don't have the same power, and even that, like, no way. It was white women who organized in Love Canal. Like white women, I have seen that. I'm talking to one right now. White women can get a lot of things done. I do not. It would it would have to be lumping all females together. If I take the non-white females and lump them in with white women, then maybe I could say, oh, okay, they, they're disheveled and all that. But I mean, please, white women, well, they flex well, their muscle regularly. Am I being accurate, well, logical? Yeah, are you being... Well, I guess I'd, I'd say two things. Yes, white women get a lot of things done. So I, you know, I, I watch democratic politics, and black women can sure get a lot done too. And I say that as a compliment. Uh, but what I was talking about here was uh, in in the neighborhood that I lived in in the uh, 19, late fifties and you know sixties up through the early sixties. Uh, which was a, an overwhelmingly white neighborhood. I'll acknowledge that right off the bat. That same neighborhood, years later, and, and one of these women who was involved in it was one of the speakers at the beginning of, you know, on the audio piece before we came on. But, uh, they were at their 20th reunion at McClure North High School, and they were using Facebook for the first time because they were trying to keep up with events of the reunion. And through Facebook, then they followed up and they discovered that all these people and their children and their families were really sick with, you know, cancer and autoimmune diseases and, you know, deaths. And, and so they, they couldn't figure out why. And in my neighborhood, we couldn't figure out why, you know, people, my parents and my brother, you know, we just didn't know. We had no idea that the creek tributary at the end of our street was was uh, contaminated. And so uh, they they formed their own group and they, they had a little statement that I think I quote in the book saying, we are not now, yes, compared to some white men who, you know, they had less status, but they said, uh, you know, we're not, we, we are, we are North County kids and we put ourselves through college and we worked and, and, uh, and we've, we have now degrees in accounting and nursing and this and that. And, uh, we we are and so they were working too because they some of them were still in the neighborhood some of them were not in the neighborhood but their neighborhood was attacked so what i was trying to show there is that uh this this notion that your home is attacked brings people out who many of whom would not have the confidence to do that if if 
if they, that that wasn't the circumstance. And in uh, Love Canal and in Three Mile Island, and I say in different places in the book, there were women who said, oh, you know, I couldn't, I'm just a housewife, and they ended up doing amazing things. So my point was, uh, that people people can organize and get things done, and maybe someone doesn't pay attention to you initially, but uh, that's what's happening. They come out under those circumstances. So that's what I'm talking about. Do, would I say that they had less power? Those women who organized that group, they had less power than than uh, other groups in the society besides white men. No, I wouldn't make that argument, but they learn things, I think, new things about themselves that they were able to do. Does that make sense? Uh, it is lucid, meaning I understood what you said, but it did not respond to my question at all. And it just totally obfuscated and deviated from what I said that, hey, this would be another point where white people, and really, I submit, this is one of the ways that white people deliberately practice racism, white supremacy, once she said love canal these are white women uh, who are out doing all of this they did organize the government compensated them read harriet a washington's work but then even the greater point i say this all the time when they say that females have less power than men every time that is an act of racism it should be it's almost 2025 it should be mandatory to say if that's going to be said it's less power than white men michael brown jr is not in charge of anything and that would be true for any era 2025 1995 1805 pick the time period and right the and i would i think on, i said on, just one other point go ahead the go ahead go ahead the uh comparing of white women and this notion of females as though uh white women are in the same position with regards to power like dr maurice uh as non-white females that is also not true at all. Again, Love Canal, it's right in the article. If she just pointed that out, these are white women at Love Canal organizing successfully with no education. It's not even, we're talking Princeton. That's close enough. It's not like we're talking about Princeton and Rutgers PhDs and what have you. Professor Emerita, like our guest here, these folks just went to high school or what have you, got on social media, or they didn't even have social media in Love Canal. That was so long ago. And they still were effective and got things done. Why? they're classified as white women that's why i'm saying all of that would have to be pointed out and i'm just saying that's a a pattern in the book that she hasn't refuted either time she just our guest dr maurice she deviates from the point i asked specifically am i being accurate logical and she just deviated to talk about her own point i just want to make that again well, so again it okay. is what i'm saying Can am i, I being say accurate something, please? logical Okay, when I and now I can uh, I, I could I could have gotten into more detail that these white women uh, had less power than white men. It was not primarily a sociological study, and I will take your recommendation certainly under advisement to look at. You always look for how you can make things clearer and better. But um, in many cases, I was. I was quoting the women themselves as I'm just a housewife and so on. And historians uh, do that. They, they try to go to the primary documents. And so you're talking about how they see themselves. It's not an, an attempt to obfuscate. It's an attempt to say what these people are saying. Uh, again, 
I, I would not I would not say that these women in my former neighborhood who put themselves through college uh, have less power than uh, uh, other groups who are not white men. I would not argue that, but uh, I, you know I, I, I appreciate your feedback on this, and that's why we have books and discuss them, and it's a learning process for everybody. I'm just pointing out for listeners, she did not quote any primary sources uh, or any of these white women at Love Canal about their uh, high school status or educational status or anything else. Uh, Since that wasn't a quote, that was you making a decision about what information you wanted to include and be explicit about. You made a choice to not, hey, these are white women who are doing this very important well, this is hang on a second you're still interrupting see you're still interrupting. no no i'm waiting i'm waiting um, that then and i don't even know why this has to be defended so much i mean i didn't say anything incorrect it is white women in love canal she's already conceded that yes and she said repeatedly and she said it in a curious manner yes they're white women so they do have more power than the people who are not white male or female so what is all the resistance for? There are other things in the book that we were going to talk about. Why, why do you even feel compelled to keep responding to this? Well, first of all, I think it's important that I do. And secondly, uh, I, I'm quoting sometimes secondary sources that don't say who they are. And I would not say, for example, that uh, I, because class, social class enters into this, too. You know, uh, Michelle Obama has a whole lot of power, you know, uh, but uh, so I wouldn't it, it, you just have to be very careful in, in not making assumptions as to who people are and and to quote what your secondary sources say and what your primary sources say in terms of trying to be even handed in this. That being the case. And, and I'm not I'm not being defensive. I'm trying to tell you how this kind of research is done. Then uh, that being the case, I certainly will take your suggestion under advisement. It'll be very helpful. Anytime I have a discussion about the book, I learn new things, and and I have today. So thank you. We got to the, pointing that out. For matter of fact, I can get my sound clip in there because we got to Michelle. Were Michelle You're Obama's buckets and buckets of work. Were Michelle Obama's cousins and relatives in in Levittown? Like I don't remember. They have video of this. You people can, that they got I, Netflix series on this. Like this isn't even. Anywho, you and the. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking uh, about hang, that. Hang on a second. All. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Uh, and the interrupting. <laughs> that's important too. It's it's both ways uh, on that with Dr. Barista on something that shouldn't be that pivotal. Uh, before we allow you to enjoy the rest of your Monday evening, go back to make sure I don't miss the important ones because you do have a whole chapter at the end where you do talk about the mistreatment of black people and it flip-flops, meaning some of these areas, Ferguson, some of the more rural parts of St. Louis County, originally you, we already said rural, farmland, all this, creek, great quiet away from the city, uh, rubes, they would have you know picked on you before, all of this flips around and part of it directly about racism, in fact the direct racism, white supremacy you talked about. Okay, so we have all of these counties uh, around St. Louis proper. Sometimes the individuals classified as white, they make whole decisions after Brown v. Board of Education. Like, oh my God, I don't want my children in school with Michael Brown Jr. They make whole decisions to say we're going to separate 
secede, if you will, form a new county because we do not want the Negros in school with us. You have that specific in the book. Isn't that true? I say that, well, they, they weren't counties. They were small municipalities. And I talk about how if they wanted to start their own uh, municipality, how they could do it. So the seceding was the uh, city of St. Louis seceding from St. Louis County in 1877. Municipalities, thank you. Strive for accuracy, but we substitute that word. Is that accurate, what I just said? Substituting for municipalities? We do not want our children, white children, in school with Michael Brown Jr. We're seceding. We want our own municipality. That way we can have our own school system and at the same time we get to cripple the municipalities that will have lots of little michael brown juniors and melissa brown juniors black children they will be crippled and have a difficult time getting schools you talk about that directly in the book yes municipalities it's not quite that simple because school districts were separate from municipalities i talk about a school district the kinlock and berkeley school districts in which they split and what you described happened. It happened at a time when, unfortunately, uh, uh, Missouri schools, even if you were in the same school district, were segregated and black schools got less, yes. And that was very unfortunate. So it's, it's not quite that simple, but I'm trying to tell you how it worked out. Hmm. It's not, is there anything inaccurate about the way that I said it? Um, you were talking about, you were conflating municipalities and school districts, and you did not uh, indicate that the school districts uh, had separate schools by law in Missouri until well after Brown versus the Board of Education. So, so that we don't want our children to go to school with Michael Brown Jr. Uh, was not, it, it just was not that simple. Was there a racist element? Yes. Did black schools get less? Yes. I'm just trying to tell you procedurally how it happened. Let's read what you say. Page 98. In 1902, Kenlock established a public school system from parts of two adjacent districts. Consistent with state law, black and white students were enrolled in separate schools in time the district's African-American population increased, surpassing that of whites. When a black minister won election to the three-person school board, his advocacy for a black high school concerned white property owners. The only black high school in St. Louis County was 13 miles away and difficult to access. Fearing that voters would elect a second black board member, white residents incorporated as the city of Berkeley and then acted in accordance with a state law that allowed a municipality to establish its own school district. Since Berkeley's boundaries were drawn to include white people and exclude black residents, the downsized Kenlock district had a reduced tax base that made adequate funding of its schools very difficult. Historian Colin Gordon reports that Kenlock was isolated and shunned by its neighbors, even though one-third of St. Louis County's African-American population resided there before 1960. 
He reports that Kenlock enjoyed few of the advantages of its white suburban peer communities and that the zoning and planning history of neighboring Berkeley and Ferguson were largely animated by the desire to quarantine. Oh, medical apartheid. Man, the word quarantine Kenlock and its residents. Gordon adds, mostly Berkeley and Ferguson streets dead end before they reached Kenlock and until 1968 Ferguson barricaded the through streets so I read that and I think back to what I just said we do not it, want to the, go every, hang on you're interrupting again you're interrupting again you're interrupting again well, this like deliberate racism I would like to finish my statement without being interrupted we go all ahead, got things go ahead, thank go you ahead. thank you deliberate act of racism I said white people did not want to go to school with Michael Brown Jr. They changed the laws. I said county should have been municipality. Strive for accuracy. We're going to form our own region, make our own schools because we don't want Michael Brown Jr. here or Melissa Brown. Get out of here. And it crippled the Negro school districts. That sounds an awful lot like what I just read. Was my paraphrase that inaccurate? What you read was abs- what, what I wrote was absolutely accurate. Hmm. My summary didn't sound that off either. When you just said they changed the law, that was not accurate because it was an existing law that permitted them to do that. Now, the intent was the same. I just am trying to be accurate here. What you just read from my book is exactly what happened. Hmm. Okay. Even, hey, I'm saying changing the law. Hey, if we were not a municipality before... And now we are, it would seem like laws have been changed. That's the way I'm losing logic, but maybe okay. maybe I'm confused Let me explain about things. Then. Let me explain that the existing law allowed them to form a municipality. And once they had a municipality, that municipality could have its own school district. That's what happened, and it happened exactly as i as as you read it from my book gotcha gotcha uh let's see the all of this in the same chapter exclusively dealing with the negro do you know the details about why you call it a watershed moment exactly why what was the criterion that was used for them to decide that this you know rises to an egregious was it because of the number like population wise in terms of black people who live near coldwater creek or you know what what were the rules how did they come to this decision first of all they they never fully explained this and so i've reported as they had it it was based on the census of 2000 uh and i don't know what the threshold number was because they never said but once being deemed an environmental justice watershed meant that you were entitled to certain uh, services. And so I, I took that from the government statement exactly as it was. And I can't give you more, more detail. What I've done is, in all cases, I've documented where I got my information, and that is no exception. Gotcha, gotcha. 
I just want to point out uh, for listeners, I think uh, Dr. Maurice has deliberately practiced racism uh, with her answers and uh, I'd say the interrupting and the obfuscating. Even her response to that last question, when she started out, she said racism is a part of it in terms of these municipalities and them using the laws and what have you to make new exclusively white schools so they could exclude the Negras. She said that was a part of it. It sounds pretty central if they have got the streets so that they dead end and we make it a code to barricade them to keep out the Negras, sundown town again. That seems like what I said with my definition. That is the whole kit and caboodle, as they say. That is the system. That's not a part of the interrupting coming again. Even all of that. I'm so dedicated to white supremacy racism. I got to immediately interrupt you. I can't even let you finish your thought before I hop in to say something where most of the time you don't even have anything to refute what I'm saying. It's not that I'm being inaccurate. It's just I'm practicing racism, white supremacy. We're not supposed to have accurate, truthful, explicit commentary about this. That's all I can conclude because you've been you've interrupted me so quickly and you've done it the whole time that we've talked and I haven't done that to you. I've allowed, I've muted myself. Like it's not even a chance for me to talk over top of you. You apologize so called or do a tacky in a tacky manner and then you continue with the same behavior the whole way through. So I can only process that is deliberate white supremacy racism. Doesn't come out to anything else. And I would I'd come back to your book it's not a part of it. You said that consistently. It's a part of it and minimizing the role of individuals classified as white, like yourself, who deliberately practice white supremacy racism. I'm coming. Colin Gordon was a guest on our program. Uh, you write, this is further down page 100, bottom of 100, city and county of St. Louis. The net result, according to the 1960 census, was a 12.5% population loss for St. Louis with some spaces offset by new arrivals from poor rural locales. During this period, the city's black population increased 28.8%. However, its neighborhoods were generally not diverse. The north side of St. Louis was solidly black. The central corridor and near south side were mixed, and the south and southwest areas were predominantly white. James Neal Prim contends that the pattern was intentional as seen, for example, in city planners' placement of public housing on the north side. His assessment recalls earlier instances of St. Louis officials locating nuisances among vulnerable populations through selective law enforcement and through the pioneering use of of zoning laws Q. Michael Brown Jr. That's what I mean like for all of this this is deliberate willful intentional system of white supremacy this is not a part of it this is not a piece of it make it plain with it even going back to my very definition your response Dr. Maurice my response is I, I stand by what I've uh, written uh, I, I should tell you I, I said this at the beginning that Historians don't believe that people do what they do for just one reason. Now, something may be the biggest reason, but there are other things that come into it. And so I've tried to uh, share those things. And I would just say that um, uh, I think a, a dialogue is a good thing. And I would just invite people to, to read my book and uh, 
arrive at, at, at their conclusions. I've tried to be uh, very uh, even-handed and uh, uh, but no, that's that's sort of a tenet of my profession that people don't do things for just one thing. They there are other factors that come into it as well, and I've tried to acknowledge those. And uh, so I think that's just you know being honest and forthright. But you know what I've written, I've written, and I've I've written it uh, uh, conscientiously. So um, that that would be what I would say. And uh, I, I always uh, am pleased to get. Uh, suggestions and recommendations so uh you know feel free do you have another reason you say people don't always do things for one reason do you have another reason why they put barricades up to keep the racism was the biggest thing that was that was huge that action yes uh probably fear stemming from racism was another reason uh uh probably Ignorance from not understanding the people on the other side of the barricade. I can tell you that one of my high school classmates' uh, father was elected mayor of Ferguson, and he uh, was instrumental in saying, let's take down that barricade. And it should have been done long before. Uh, But I think things like fear, ignorance play into it perhaps as well. I would never defend that action. Wow, you you saw these barricades growing up in your like this is something you remember? Uh, no, I didn't live in in oh, St. Louis okay. at the okay. time. Okay, but you were able to talk to this person about it and them wanting to get away uh, do away with the barricades. I it's it was a matter in the St. Louis news. Oh, it was okay, a very okay, okay. proud. His name was John Brawley. He's no longer living. He was mayor of Ferguson and and he said let's get rid of these I so see. and i was not I, I think it was probably around in 1968 and uh i was living in indiana so i, I can't see. tell you any more than that they have some, were you in a sundown town when you moved to indiana uh well i was at hanover college in indiana and there was just a little village and the college and i don't think it could have been a sundown town because uh, we had uh, people of um, many ethnicities at the college, so no. Hmm. Okay. Right on. Fascinating book, uh, Nuked the History. I guess with, with Oppenheimer, before we let you enjoy the rest of your Monday evening, uh, folks had a question. You should get a hand up in the next two seconds. Uh, with all of the commentary on Oppenheimer, that's talk about him directly. Uh, in your text, uh, we've been talking about the situation uh, with Columbine. Uh, what do you, I mean, it's been, what do we say, 80 years, I think? We're 80 years on from all of this with World War II and celebrating uh, the atomic bond and all the fallout, uh, forgive the pun, uh, health-wise for people here in St. Louis and abroad, Rocky Flats, Colorado, uh, all of the fallout from that. It still seems like there is a white worship. Uh, of this act uh, and this bombing, I don't know. It seems uh, it seems like it's an ingrained kind of part of the white culture, uh, kind of celebrate and particularly celebrating this bombing of not Japs, non-white people. Uh, with, we got the movie; it just came out. What What do you think? Is that is that the sense that you get, or am I off? I have not seen the movie, so I can't comment on that. I can tell you, and I have this in my book that. Uh, 
uh, the attitude toward dropping the bomb has changed over the years. There's basically been three different groups of people. Uh, the first thought it was necessary that we do that to avoid having to do a land invasion of Japan. And those people favored it. And, 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 uh, people, those, some, those people still favor it. Uh, the second group said we did, would not have had to invade Japan to end the war if we had not dropped the bomb. And that there were other things in play, like we were afraid Russia would come in on the side and and uh, and get involved, get more power than we wanted them to. And so that's the second group. Uh, more recent, and, and the first two groups of scholars fight, <laughs> fought a lot about that. And then the third group uh, is they more take an. Uh, and in between, uh, you know, there, there's some. They 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 think that Japan uh, would have, you know, crumbled anyway, uh, but they they're not uh, thinking that the primary reason was was fear of the Soviets, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see what this Oppenheimer movie uh, the the. Uh, the view they take, uh, I don't know. I end my book that with with the quote from a woman who you started your program with, Mary Osco, who said, you know, uh, they wanted to win and they had to build that bomb. And uh, that's how it ends. And as people are more and more worried about radioactive pollution, it's probably... It, it'll be more of interest, but but less celebrated, I think. So uh, I don't know, but everyone's not uniformly on it. I don't think. We'll see how Oppenheimer affects popular attitudes. Hmm. I have not seen it either. I'll uh, have to have to see. Uh, yeah, see how folks who, who've checked it out or what have you, what they uh, think about it all. Uh, I guess the the last one be. The impact the people, black people, who were left after the so-called white flight, as you even write in the book when white people in the St. Louis region started to recognize the harms of this radioactive waste and we're going to sell before our property values decline uh, and or just health reasons or both. Uh, And so it starts to be more black people who are living, even having quotes the black people voluntarily moved to these areas, maybe because they didn't have other resources, racism, white supremacy, limited options, that type of a thing. Uh, how has racism, white supremacy impacted the black people's ability to advocate for themselves in this region to fight back, uh, protect their health as best they can, even to get accurate information about what's happening to them? Um, well, this you'll notice that I dedicated this book to all residents of North St. Louis County uh, after 1946, and uh, many of those people would be, uh, you know, there a large number of um, black people who I've honored in my book. How do they get information? Well, I hoped my book had some uh, help in that. Uh, as I said, there's been this uh, series that is now being done by three different news organizations. Uh, 
we're trying to speak as much as we can those you know to inform people uh i think when uh, uh, environmental contamination affects you adversely i tried to explain uh in the, in uh, the book about environmental uh justice watershed uh if if your home value goes down or you know th- those kinds of things that can be just so devastated then devastating then it can be uh very difficult to um to go someplace else and so i i i guess p- when when the government has come forward with things it has most often happened when people joined together and said no, and there was a strong voice. And I think there's a lot of sentiment now in St. Louis County for clean it up, you know. Uh, whatever whatever the reason was that was here, in fact, one journalist even said a, a kindergarten learns to clean up their mess and, and, and the, de- the Department of Energy needs to go to its room, you know, uh, needs, needs to be sent to its room. But I, I think making your voices heard really important and in reading what you can get a hold of and uh and i think there are opportunities for collaboration across you know ethnic and and racial groups because it affects all of us it affects all of us you know we're we're all in this together and i would hope to communicate that as well right on right on uh the book uh this Relatively new, uh, I think. Did it just come out this year? Did I get that incorrect? Uh, December 2022. Oh, okay. Well, right on the cusp. Right at the end of uh, last year, uh, the full title, Nuked, Echoes of the Hiroshima Bomb in St. Louis, courtesy of Michael Brown Jr. And then Ferguson is right there. It's one of the, man, can't believe it. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us this Monday evening. Uh, yeah, I really, I do not incur it. Like I said, two seconds. Like I really despise it when people hang out, especially when they've been here the whole time and wait to get a question up. Like really, if you have a question, get your hand up because then people lollygag and wait until the very last minute. Like gee whiz, uh, retired firefighter, do you have one question concisely that you can share? If not, we will rock and roll. Do you have one question, sir? Yes, I, I just wanted to ask the uh, the guests uh, how did uh, Oppenheimer Oppenheimer got uh, uh, sabotaged by other powerful white people, uh, and for what reason? Um, you know, I haven't. And that's a really good question. I I have not studied his life after the bomb. Uh, the connection Oppenheimer came to St. Louis, uh, well, the, the, the connection with St. Louis is that our uranium, uranium got refined in our city, sent to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, get enriched, and then sent out to Los Alamos, that secret city where Oppenheimer was. Uh, and he was a hero uh, <laughs> uh, at the end of World War II. And I think that was all, I think we're going to find that this is all sort of part of the McCarthy era, who, who anybody who, uh, uh, 
it was at odds with certain powerful people, uh, then they were uh, they were accused of being uh, a threat to the United States. There was that paranoia about the communists taking taking over. I think that's what we're going to see in the film. Uh, but again, I haven't seen it, and I am uh, looking forward to it. And that's a really good question, and uh, I, I'll be thinking of your question as I see the film. Mm, I think they call that the red scare uh, in themes with the uh, colors uh, in terms of that era and McCarthyism and got to be loyal and have some uh, patriotism and all that, and you can't have any. I think he also was a little bit skeptical, I'll use that word, of about his creation after having seen how it was deployed and the escalation of all of this. I think that gave him some second thought. He didn't even know about all the nuclear waste and what have you contaminating Rocky Flats and St. Louis and all that. But I think that also contributed to maybe some of his misgivings, which also contributed to some of his problems with white people. I think they might be called war hawks. Yeah. Like, uh, what? you yeah. on what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Got to check your yeah, credentials. That's, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that is correct. And he's not the only one who worked on the bomb who had misgivings after the fact. Um, uh, somebody else, uh, James Conant, who is president of Harvard, who was in the initial team that was designing that. Uh, they, they, you know, that, that was a hard thing to live with when you think of what the effect of dropping that bomb was. So. I think that's true, but 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 thank you, sir, for the question. It's an excellent one, and we'll we'll stay tuned and and try to find out all the answers. For sure, much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, we've chatted it up, uh, Dr. Linda C. Morris, Professor Emerita, uh, author of Nuked Echoes of the Hiroshima Bomb in St. Louis. Uh, Again, much obliged for hanging out with us this Monday evening, uh, allowing us to get a few questions in. I have learned quite a bit about Michael Brown Jr.'s area. Uh, check out the book, especially if you are a Missouri resident or have connections to the Show Me State. Check out the book. There's quite a whole chapter at the end just on the treatment of black people in the uh, greater St. Louis area. Much obliged, Dr. Maurice. I learned a lot. We'll keep an eye out for future research. Thank you so much and for having me on, and uh, uh, good luck to you. Much obliged, much obliged. Again, Dr. Linda C. Maurice, uh, thank you kindly for the work. Enjoy your evening. Yeah, thank you. You too. Yes, ma'am. Context of white supremacy. Learn something about everything. Whole culture of bombing. Uh, hopefully, listeners in the Missouri area got some constructive information. I did not really know about the involvement of St. Louis and the whole bomb making. And certainly I did not know about the whole all of the nuclear waste left over and stored up there. And then, like I said, what are we, 80 years on and it's still poisoning people and cancer and all of that. I had no idea. They have whole documentaries. Uh, on the reading, more important than watching television, but they have documentaries uh, on this where you can see some of the sites and the contamination uh, of the water and the land and all of that. You can see some of the black people talking about their experience uh, working in all of these toxic uh, poisoned 
radioactive uh, conditions. Uh, see if I can give you the title of the documentary. Let's see. Okay, the documentary Atomic Homefront came out in 2017. Uh, it does not. It does not have as much information about the racism aspect, although black people are there talking about their story. It's just not as direct. Most of it is focused on the impact that this had on white people in the St. Louis region. And I mean, hey, lots of people uh, were poisoned workers, uh, just civilians uh, who had nothing to do uh, with the bomb making industry in the region. Uh, but it is, I mean, they contaminated the creek like, man, man. I, the whole time we were doing this, I was thinking for people, depending on where you are in the world, in California off the coast, they have been reporting in the LA Times for, I don't know, like a year and a half or so. They have, who knows, how many barrels of DDT. Uh, it's one of those uh, chemicals, poisons. They dump every kind of poison that you can think of. I think it's the Dow Chemical Company. I may be in error about the Dow Chemical Company, but one of these white industries. They made all this stuff, same time period, World War II, Cold, uh, Cold War era. They make all this stuff. They got barrels of this stuff. They got pictures of it, video, all of that. And they just dumped it in the Pacific Ocean. And I mean, more than you can even count. They don't even know how many barrels are out there. What happens? It corrodes. Uh-oh. Does that mean it's going to leak out? Yes, it's going to leak out. We read Urugu for folks who were not with us way back in 2012. That was about the only thing we had done on environmental racism for eons. Like for the longest, we had a total F on this subject matter. Environmental rate, like nothing. Nothing. Hadn't read anything in the book club. Nothing. That was about it. She does talk about this and saying, hey, that is a part of Urugu. White culture. I'm at war with the creator. I'm at war with the earth even tied Dr. Welsing in melanin deficient seem like the sun and the you know, creator are against me so I'm against them too I'm out to destroy everything literally it seems got the whole movie now and brag about that out to destroy they in talking about all that I didn't still learning I didn't know anything about Oppenheimer Dr. Welsing and Mr. Fuller, they both talk about the importance of World War II for different reasons, but same thing. Dr. Welsing went to Germany. They didn't drop the nuke on them. Mr. Fuller says, I learned so much. Hitler shook up the world, and he mentions books and everything. He tells people to read, but he said, man, that taught me a lot, World War II. My goodness. Bases his whole series when he lists movies. They're centered around that time frame, World War II and post-World War II. That that would be one to research. I don't think going to see the Hollywood Oppenheimer, that does not count as research, in my opinion. They have books, many, many, many of them that talk about this in detail. At minimum, they have some documentaries, but I mean, really, going to see Oppenheimer does not count as counter-racist research, not even close. Just get your popcorn and call it entertainment. Get a sleeping bag, too. You can go see it at the IMAX. They said, really, that's the best way to see it. Go to the IMAX. Do it up. Get the jujubes and everything. Anywho, um, the whole culture of bombing, though, 
and mass destruction that is so that's just white culture I said Yurugu that Didi, you should particularly we have lots of folks who listen in California you like sushi seafood I used to love salmon mm, seafood mm, all of that go look at those images of all that DDT that they piled up in the Pacific Ocean deteriorated leaking they said they've done samples from the fish in the region oh my gosh contaminated they got DDT oh my god and it's gonna get worse what are we gonna do white culture poisoning other white people that's in the book she does have a whole chap- chapter Dr. Morris on racism black people impacting the St. Louis region greater St. Louis region Missouri really uh, but man it was lots of white people who worked at the factory she talked about some of the people who just you know did transportation ground transport and what have you they ended up getting cancer and what have you her uh, white parents and such shh destroy the whole plant contaminate it man I remember this in fact people who recall we read Essie Mae Washington Williams her uh, memoir Dear Senator that's South Carolina same thing her white father uh, Strom Thurmond white rapist child rapist he gets a nuclear facility going in South Carolina he was an attorney so he helped them get the land eminent domain so they get the land so they could build this facility exact same thing reckless with safety regards racism they mistreated the workers who worked at the facility they put them in the most radioactive toxic places no protection of course can we get gloves get in there negro get in there yeah. and then whoops we done contaminated almost the whole state of South Carolina oh my lord they got to shut the site down they got whole books and documentaries on this I le- they got a documentary it's called containment it came out in 2015 it's about this exactly where white people go they're weapons of mass destruction and they have so toxified and poisoned the earth water whatever it is in the environment they are like man this area is going to be toxic for the next 25,000 years what are we going to do if the aliens do exist and we have wiped out existence on planet earth and they come here 20,000 years later dang we will need to do something to mark this site to let them know you will have to wait another 5,000 years for this site to be safe to use that is white culture and all of that in the name of we got to nuke these chaps race war Dr. Gerald Horn man today's program would have been way different if I had not read Harriet A. Washington a terrible thing to waste if we had not read uh, Sylvia Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington packing them in now that's talking about Chicago Illinois specifically which I think is contiguous to Missouri northern sides we got Arkansas on the south Illinois on the north but we talked about that specifically and I think both of those works written by black authors tremendous Dr. Hood Washington was a guest on our program on Earth Day 2020 Chicago Uh, but they both I believe talk about Love Canal and specifically what I said to Dr. Maurice 
That's white people there. Like, yes, white people poison other white people all the time. Lots of examples of that throughout the world. However, those white people were able to fight back. And I love that she points out they didn't need these were not highfalutin Ivy League educated white people. Nope. These were stay at home white women. And they still organized, got all kinds of attention, sympathy, documentaries. They got just compensation and relocation because they're white that's something I would not have known and I probably wouldn't even have said anything about and oh my god I'm so glad I played I'm played again just because she almost here I'm played again let me see you're just saying just buckets and buckets of words like oh my gosh I would not have even been aware of that to point that out because it happens repeatedly in the book there is no way in the world you should be it's almost 2025 to talk about Levittown and there to be no mention of white supremacy racism like that's just how was that possible in 2025 the uh, let me see the Netflix let me see if I can give you the Netflix documentary on Levitt, Levittown because they have a whole series on this it just came out it was a big book uh, on all of this uh, based on the book uh, let me see is it Levittown, Two Families, One Tycoon, and the Fight for Civil Rights? I think that might be it. I'm going to have to double check, but I, they have lots. Like at this point, this is one This is one of those easy ones. Like when you start, if you say, hey, I want to learn racism and the suburbs for dummies, uh, what, what can you tell me? They generally start with Levittown. Like I said, they got whole it, everything, everything that you want to watch for white people. And this is exactly what she said in the book. This is the pattern for white people and this is how we'll hook it up for y'all garage how about the two car garage two car garage we'll get the mall we'll hook it up no negras make that a part of the selling point James Lowen said that no negras she said that's a part of it that's not a part of it they do that all the time that minimizing well you know we have a little bit of racism she said that from the very beginning when I gave my definition of white supremacy racism and I deliberately waited until later in the program because I knew she was going to be pussyfooting doing some old pontificating buckets of words not answering and all the rest of it might even storm off now she didn't do that but I knew that so I said I'm going to wait until we get to the part in her book where she talks about the Negras in the Congo mine they got to get the pure urine. Now pair that with what we heard yesterday. Dr. Jenny, Jenny Bolstrode, white woman in the United Kingdom, talking about the exemplary brilliance of African iron workers, black iron workers in the Caribbean. They got the purest uranium in Africa. Make them niggers get that uranium. Yeah. Now the Congo, that's one you man, they're chopping off black people's hands feet white people brag they chopped the population of the Congo in half and I said chopped deliberately and I mean like 10 million I mean easy genocide and brag about this King Leopold's ghost you know book to read that's a I don't know if I say good, but that's an informative one uh, about all of this but they got lots of books and all of this this is how you end up with uh, Patrice Lumumba in this region 
Oh man, that's where the Rumble in the Jungle. Muhammad Ali and uh, George Foreman, where they eventually get it on. Rumble in the Jungle. That's after uh, the Belgians have been kicked out, so-called. But yeah, but yeah, uh, even that portion in the book, she does not make it as plain as she did speaking with us. Hey, this is global white supremacy racism where you got naked slavery. Get in that mind. Yeah, I didn't even know. Like, oh man, the health effects of all of that. You know, 1940s, my man Nick Nolte saying, Hotel Rwanda, you're not even a nigra. This is the Congo, so you're not even a kaffir. I don't know what they call the nigras in the Congo. Somebody, if you can give me that one, I'll include that. But what is nigra in Congolese? Do they speak, I don't know, do they speak French in Belgium? I don't even know. I'm still learning. Do they speak French in Belgium? I think that might be it. But they could get in there, kaffir. Get in the mine. Get all the uranium. We got bombs to make, man. Hurry up. Mr. Fuller talks about that explicitly. He talks about that in detail. World War II white people fighting each other disrupted so much on the planet and poisoned lots of white and non-white people even all these years on. But he talks about that. You got black people on the continent fighting each other. Part of World War II. Black people that get moved from the continent. You got to send them here and hither and yonder. Non-white people in India. That's how you get Mahan, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Mr. Fuller talked about this all. I said, this is why Dr. Wells, I got to go to Germany. What in the world? How did we get all this? Reading. More important, reading and researching. That's why I did the program today. When I saw this, Michael Brown Jr., that wasn't a lie. When I started the program, the only reason I became aware of this, that we had this program today, I check St. Louis News all the time, generally daily, because of the police killing of Michael Brown Jr. in 2014. The disruption lasted so long, and I was making an effort to pay attention. I don't even like I'm not even interested in following those police incidents, but I at least wanted to be informed. I continued to check. And that's and lots of Colin Gordon. That's how we ended up talking to him. Spanish Lake, that documentary where literally they talk about the white people when they did all this flip flopping and we're going to create our own municipality. We don't want Michael Brown Jr. in our school system. When they did all that, the population of Negros starts to increase in Ferguson, Kenlock, some of these other areas in North St. Louis white people brag we would get our guns and go shoot at the Christmas decorations of the Negros I said then dang what happens if you shot goes into a house breaks a window somebody's outside you miss like wow did they injure anybody at this time property damage did they break a window car window Safety, who uh, the definition part? I'll see if folks have any thoughts that they want to share what they heard, but that definition part was so important. That was why I would not have been surprised if she had left in, and that would have been totally okay because I thought that was so important. You are a white woman who is over the age of 65. I'm not saying that, you know, for any ageism, whatever that means. I'm saying that you're not a child, you're a scholar. You've written many books. You teach. You're a certified science teacher. You know the importance of words and definitions. 
you wrote a whole book. You have a whole chapter in that book about racism, mistreatment of the Negroes. The Negroes can't get a house here. Brown versus Board of Education. And in fact, before we even get to that, what I just say, get in that mind, you Congolese Negroes. Get that uranium. And what is this uranium for? We're going to get them Japs. That even that. If I hadn't read Race War, Dr. Gerald Horn in my top. So that's two books in my top ten. Sundown Town. We read that in the book club. Uh, Race War, Dr. Gerald Horn. He was a guest on the program last year. We talked about that book specifically. This would have been a different program too if I hadn't read that. Oh my God. That whole conflict is white supremacy racism. You got a white man with swastikas here. Columbine, Dylan, Clebo, almost said Dylan Roof, but that would have been fine too. White man with swastika and Japs saying, oh man, we got to do something about these white people. What are we going to do? We got to do something about these white people. What are we going to do? That's World War II in a nutshell. And Japs, 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 Japs. We're going to get them 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 Japs. We bombed them Japs. We rocked them Japs. We got them Japs. We told you, Tojo. We got the Japs. That's World War II in a nutshell. White supremacy. All of this is what we're writing about. Why are so many people poisoned? Radioactive waste? In Missouri, 80 years later? Oh, we got to get the Japs. Oh. And you don't have a definition for white supremacy racism. And you don't agree with mine, which is fine. You got to do all that being mealy mouthed about it. And you got to hop in and be interrupting and all that. Like, come on, come on, come on. I said, do you know any places on the planet? White people are being kicked around and bullied. Non-white people dump all their toxic waste on the white people. No, no, no. No, I'm still learning, Brother Gus, but no, I don't know. No region of Earth like that. All of that there, white supremacy, racism, and the not being specific, even to come back with that tackiness with Love Canal, man. Hey, you say these females at Love Canal who did get compensated and relocated in a just manner You're saying that they're less powerful than men. No, you don't mean they're less powerful than Michael Brown Jr. You mean they might be less powerful than white men. But I mean, hey, I think the head of the EPA is a white woman. Let me have to double check. Let me see. Who is the EPA president? Environmental Protection Agency for the U.S. Let's see. I think she mentions her name in the text even. EPA president currently I don't worry is the whatever the the title is oh it's Michael Regan my goodness they got a black dude oh my goodness uh we about lost everything Michael Regan current administrator of the US Environmental Protection Agency and he's been there since 2017 wow I can't believe it Michael Regan I wonder what his experience has been like do they mistreat him Michael Regan still learning Wow, I'd do a little bit more research to see what his uh, tenure has been like, if he's had any problems with racism. Let's see. I know they have talked a lot about they do not have abilities to go out and pursue and, oh, let's see, let's see. They got one of them. They don't, they don't have, uh, what they'll call it, they don't have teeth. That's the metaphor that they are used to go out and punish people, maldoers. When you go out and dump that DDT in the water, you go out and dump all that toxic waste 
in Missouri, we can punish you and put fines or take away your business license and that sort of thing. They'll say, yeah, the EPA, they don't, they don't have teeth, fangs, arr, to, you know, go out and stop people. Uh, first black man to lead EPA reveals personal challenges of environmental racism. Wow. Wow. Let's see. Does he give a personal ex- anecdote? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Worked under Clinton. Pollution. Oh, he had asthma. Oh, my. Oh, my God. We just. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, okay. So he says Regan started his career at the EPA during the Clinton administration and spent eight years at the Environmental Defense Fund before becoming the secretary of North Carolina's Department of Environmental Quality, where he became known for prioritizing environmental justice. But his education began with his lived experience growing up in the state. During days of high ozone and high pollution, I did suffer respiratory challenges, he told The Guardian. I've been keenly aware of the impact of pollution from an early age and what that means from lost school days or from preventing me preventing me enjoying the outdoors with my grandfather and father that's always been a part of my knowledge base wow I, we literally just read when we heard the report it was on the compensatory call and they said with the increasing temperatures warmer weather they said the leading cause for school absences was asthma I was stunned they didn't say smoking crack, skipping school to rob and loot. I can't breathe. Hmm. Yes, environmental racism. Uh, anything else? Then I'll see if folks have any comments that they would like to share. We get to. Uh, I'll just say the bombing culture again. I'm so. I don't know what to say. Our timing. I pointed my wrist. Our timing. Incredible. I would just put all that together. So within the last, what, three months since April. So we had the death of the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski. Columbine. April. All of that. Failed bombing. We just were talking about Timothy McVeigh. The late. Oppenheimer. Film. Celebrating. Weapon of mass destruction make sure we even get global July 22nd just passed I think today's date is the 24th July 22nd is significant for people in Norway why Anders Breivik killed all of those children and bombing killed I think close to 80 people bombing in the name of white supremacy racism global system I'm mad our policies here not enough white people. I'm mad. We got to do something about it. Inspire a whole generation. That culture of white bombers and then being celebrated. We just we were talking with Jeffrey Haas talking about Fred Hampton, the assassination of Fred Hampton. They didn't assassinate William Ayers. He's a distinguished scholar, University of Illinois, contiguous state of Missouri this dude is a bomber I bring it up and say he's a criminal what What do you mean because you don't get look here brother you don't call William Ayers that's a good white brother that's a good white ally you don't call him no criminal I take offense to that brother Gus I'll hang up this phone right now you don't call Bill Ayers a criminal remember Jeffrey Howe said that that's literally a couple days ago white bomber what is this 
Anarchist Cookbook. We got to ban all these books. We're going to ban the Anarchist Cookbook? Nope. Bomberman. I said that reading Columbine. Casey Bernal's mother, Misty Bernal, she's upset as I would be too. Someone killed or shot my child. But dang. Misty Bernal, where you work at? Lockheed Martin? Oh, you work at the Bomb Factory. That's right close to Rocky Flats. Bomb Factory. That's real talk. It was in the book. They said Rocky Flats, that's the one where Jefferson County officials lied again. White Jefferson County officials. They said, dang, we miscalculated so bad with the nuclear facility in Rocky Flats, Colorado. Man, we might destroy the whole city of Denver the whole state of Colorado what in the Carmelo Anthony who even thinks like that's another one see we do not even know the brain computer of a white person who even thinks like that what we are doing might destroy the entire state let's continue and then, and then, and then, lie about it. What does it? That's the impetus, really. Get this problem solved immediately because this will just continue. The lying about it poison everything. That's why I said I'm so... The gall. You come around and talk about recycling. We're going to do green this and solar panel this. I'd be all for that, but good God. You toxify everything. What do you mean green? Stop practicing white supremacy racism. That would maybe take away the initiative to make all these bombs and weapons of mass destruction. Celebrate Timothy McVeigh and the Unabomber and the Columbine cowards and Oppenheimer and on and on and on. Anders Ravik bombs bombs and bombs let's see uh folks have thoughts they would like to share before we wrap up observations thoughts from nuke i did learn quite a bit from the book but man oh man dr maurice wow white woman obfuscating and practicing racism all the way through and the interrupting the interrupting she was it was that I mean that is so critical we can't have accurate logical lucid correct dialogue about white supremacy racism I got to interrupt and talk all over you I got to interrupt and talk all over you got to interrupt 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 even when I'm not even talking about your question I just want to interrupt because you can't be talking accurately about all of this got it got it let's see folks who are with us who did not get to share already uh, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Yeah, have you heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, guests. Greetings, callers and listeners. Um, I, I got You kind of already started with what I was going to say, which is one of my. It's one of the biggest pet peeves I have is people cutting me off while I'm speaking. That's, I find it highly disrespectful. And the fact that she's a professor and she kept on doing it 
over and over and over again. And it's not like there's like five or four people sitting around and talking and, okay, you know, I interrupted you, pardon, you can continue. It's just you and her. And she just kept on doing it over and over again, which made it hard for me to actually follow the program. I don't even know. I think she might have meant to do it, but whatever. It's just that, to me, it's that old school white woman, you don't have nothing to say that's important. Let me tell you a thing too, Negro. Um, the question I wanted to ask, I because I, I came on late, I didn't get a chance to hear every, all of this, was what, how, what kind of books, I'm, and I'm looking up some right now, I wonder what kind of books she researched in regards to what the, the, the necessity was to actually even drop the bomb. Was it really necessary? Because everything that I've looked at and researched just online in general, um, from blog sites to, to, to reports and the news articles, they now look back and say, oh, no, it wasn't really necessary. We were just trying to hastily finish the war and make sure that Japan surrendered quickly. You know, so I wonder what research she had in regards to that. And it's probably maybe some of it is in her book, and I'll take a look. But um, her rudeness, her manners, I mean, oh, gosh. I just tip my hat to you for the patience, man. You know, I said I'll meet my line. Typical white woman and older white woman. Like I said, she's over 65. So, you know. Racist woman, racist man, racist child. Uh, to your query, so this is on page 25, The Secret Weapon. Uh, revisionist academics who rose to prominence in the mid-1960s argued the bomb was not necessary to win the war because Japan was teetering on the edge of defeat and close to surrendering in August 1945. According to this view, the Japanese were seeking a way to exit the war on the sole condition that their emperor be allowed to remain on the throne. Revisionists also wrote that while Truman and his advisors were aware of the situation in Japan, they still decided to drop the bomb for diplomatic rather than military purposes, primarily to impress the Soviet Union in the emerging Cold War. White people do many things to impress other white people, particularly acts of violence, that notwithstanding. J. Samuel Walker, the whole hunting culture that we've talked about, see, see, brag, because they do that, they brag, see, that I can hit a fly at 200 yards, you know, see how many notches I got on my belt, see, they brag, Chris Kyle, American sniper, Timothy, maybe I go on and on, anyway, J. Samuel Walker reports that the revisionist and traditionalist camps were more adept at exposing flaws in the arguments of their adversaries than in providing a convincing answer to the crucial question of whether the use of the bomb was necessary to achieve a timely victory over Japan. Accordingly, during the 1990s, scholars of a middle ground persuasion offered fresh perspective on the subject and a new synthesis. They generally agreed with the traditionalists that Truman used nuclear weapons to shorten the war and save American lives. However, they rejected the notion that the president faced a clear choice between the bomb and an invasion. With varying degrees of certitude, they held that the war would likely have ended before the invasion of Japan became necessary. Several expressed doubts that American casualties would have been nearly as large as Truman and other officials claimed. Scholars in all three camps who estimated the casualties from Little Boy, 
generally ignored the prospect of civilian deaths in the United States. However, 70 years later, some people in the Cold Water Creek watershed that St. Louis linked the atomic bomb to the illness and deaths in their region. I'll stop there, but that's uh, what she kind of writes in summary about uh, whether or not it was necessary for the bomb to be dropped on the Japs, not the Germans. Uh, and I agree with your point that interrupting, obfuscating, buckets of words, all of that, I think, is deliberate. It disrupts thinking. And she even talked about that for you to have logical problem solving thinking. You need accurate information. And she wants to disrupt that as much as possible. That's why you get all the conflation and no women were mistreated too and class. See, she brought that into all that conflation with all the interruptions. So yes, totally so that we're not accurately processing the information that we're getting. And there's so many points where she like even leaving out it's niggers. This is like naked as naked as it gets. They use the term slavery all the time. This is naked slavery. Get in that mind. Ah, Toby. Ah, get in there and get that. They've got pictures of this, I think. Like, I'm, not that I should have been stunned, but I just hadn't seen this before. I'm still learning. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up. Yes, sir. May I be heard? Lauren? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, it, it, I thought there was a couple of things that the lady said that were interesting um, when she talked about the angry, and um, when she was talking about Arkansas and watching on the news, I, I guess, Central High School um, in, in Little Rock. And she, instead of calling them racist, she said angry faces. Uh, would let the children in the school. Um, also, the part when she was talking about the United States, the white people in this area of the world, negotiating with the Belgians who had been, I don't know, exiled to Britain, but um, they were negotiating with them for the permission to get their uranium from the Congo. I thought that was just they weren't talking to people who were classified as black to go to Africa and steal um, the minerals or whatnot. It was other white people. Um, also, um, when she was talking about uh, dropping the bomb, um, you know, the bomb being dropped on Japanese people instead of Germans or not Germans, she said race plays into it. She used that phrase several times. And when you were talking about the definition, when you asked her about the definition of racism, white supremacy, she said, oh, it all, I always have trouble saying that one thing dominates the earth. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. I, I do think there is one thing dominating the earth right now, and it is racism, white supremacy. Um, that's all I have right now. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Either that's true or tank. Either that's the system that's dominating the folks on this here planet called Earth, or it's not. I've noted, I've heard many white people, they'll be quick, no hesitation at all, to say capitalism, 
rules the planet or the western world rules the planet the dollar rules the planet they'll say all kinds of things uh gravity right that's one thing that dominates the planet anybody conquered gravity okay uh the sun that would be another thing i think this uh this whole here operation would be shutting down quick if the sun so i can think of some things that yes it seems like they do dominate the planet and i mean for sure individuals classified as white dominate the planet she couldn't think of no place where the white people are bullied down and out mistreated even and in fact I forgot the full tackiness of her response she did say racism plays a part she said that phrasing repeatedly as Lauren just told us plays of no man no man even when I gave my definition at first she said there are people out there like that and I repeated because I said no that's not what I said I said is this the system that dominates the planet and that's what you know, whoa, 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 I don't, whoa, 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 I don't I don't say you know, things dominate whoa, 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 whoa. then she says well you know I don't have a definition for racism but I'll tell you what Gus I can make up one for you right quick let me hear here we go here we go here we go let me spitball one like you are a scholar, an emerita scholar. You're not just at the community college, old Mark Furman style. You've written many, like, they don't do this high school biology class. Oh. oh, am I, did I get my... Let's see, am I still being like my audio is not doing correctly? Let's see. I can hear you. Uh, we can hear you. I'm not sure. I'm gonna feel like my audio is not doing right. Let me see if I can get this corrected. Let's see. Okay, got my audio back. That was so crazy. It's in the middle of my point. Um, anywho, uh, Lauren, she was just telling us the definition, uh, component of it when she was saying racism plays a part and that is so common. They have lots of different ways of that minimizing where they will reduce it from racism. White supremacy is the system that dominates the planet. That's why world war two, Dr. Gerald Horn's book is race war racism is not a part of it that is the central component of what the race it's not class war it's not the poor white people war race war why is Japan at Pearl Harbor to begin with racism white supremacy and we're being mistreated Emmett Till's father lynched world war race where it's not a part, it's not a piece, it's the whole kit and caboodle. Even when I asked, I said, so if it's a part, so do you have another reason why the white people are barricading the streets in Ferguson? This was back when Ferguson was a sundown town, racially restricted region. Why are they barricading the streets and deliberately designing the streets so that they dead end when it gets to the Negro section? Why are they doing this? 
She said, "Oh yeah, Eraser, yeah, 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 yeah. The Eraser, it plays a, it plays a part. But see, but see, it's also fear, but that's connected to racism. And that's how she said it too. She said it's fear, it's just connected to racism. And and then and then uh, ignorance. See, see, ignorance. See, gotta have some old ignorance. And then it seemed like that would also be because it was ignorance of the others. Can't really be ignorant of these folks if you put up a barbed wire." fence that says Negro stay out that doesn't really and and real talk you set up places for them to be servants and then you want to go and rape them from time to time so they're not exactly ignorant about them quote unquote we just want to mistreat them anyway but she was going to make up a definition on us off the t- she's going to sit here and spitball we got a scholar like I said they don't even do that at the middle school biology class man I mean, you can go to community college. They don't come up for physics, chemistry, nothing. And say, ooh, it's no glossary in the back of the book. Let's see, biology, biology, hmm, hmm, biology is... Wish I had thought of this in advance. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Get the chalk. Get 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 the uh yeah. Let's see. I got it. Here we go. That's not what they do. <laughs> they have it in the book, man. They take it serious. This is a science. Let's make sure that I explain this to people in a competent manner. Not some old, you know, mm, racism. Mm. And she she had bragged about her scientific credentials at the beginning of the program, remember? I'm certified. She can just say, I teach her. I'm a certified science instructor. Well, be scientific about the science on the planet. You talking about controlling billions of people throughout the known universe, make bombs that destroy the whole planet, the science that dominates the planet, the science of white supremacy, racism. Make them niggers get that uranium, we finna bomb them Japs. Just trying she want to get municipalities. Come on, man. Come on, man. Let's see. Other folks, uh observations they want to make sure that they get in. Let's see. Uh retired firefighters should be with us as well. If any of the folks have that we missed, if you have commentary, uh Star Six One, don't wait till the last minute. Retired firefighter, did you have observations, thoughts? Yes, sir. Just like uh Everybody has said uh, there. Uh, I'm saying that there was a contrasting difference between the guest yesterday, white female, and the guest today, white female. And I'm not saying that from the standpoint of giving any credit to either one, uh, but I I think about it as strategy uh, on how uh, tonight's guest was. Uh, quote unquote pussyfooting around, uh, didn't want to, uh, admit concisely to questions that are being asked, uh, because, you know, whatever reason she had, I, I'm, you know, it doesn't make a difference, uh, to me. Um, uh, one thing that was helpful, I did not know about, uh, non-white people 
in this part of the world who are rich classified as black who had a direct harm uh, due to the uh, quote-unquote Manhattan Project uh, in this part of the world. Uh, the only place that I knew of uh, directly, and that was after World War II, actually, other than, I mean, with the Japanese, of course, but non-white people was actually after the war, they started experimenting on much more powerful, much more powerful nuclear bombs uh, in the Fiji Islands, uh, where a whole lot of non-white people resided at, uh, to whereas it still is affecting them today. Uh, I understood that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, those, those were uh, some of my thoughts. Uh, I was asking about uh, Oppenheimer because I had an idea, and I just wanted to see on what her idea was. Uh, and uh, based on what she was going to answer, she was going to give about uh, this Oppenheimer. Uh, and my studies is not based on going to the movies. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, about reading the information. But uh, anyway, uh, those are my thoughts. Thank you. Reading more important than watching television. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, I think she does mention in uh, the footnotes and through, you know, reading the text in her book, she does mention uh, several other texts that talk about the impact of the nuclear testing uh, here in the States on other non-white populations. I think in Los Alamos, non-white people, I don't think they were classified as black, but they were non-white. Non-white people were impacted there with some of the tests that they ran. And I think it might have even been here in Washington State, although I would have to double-check at the Hanford facility to see if they had any non-white people in that area that were uh, impacted that lived in the region. But, yeah, the St. Louis, that is for sure the St. Louis region, uh, and particularly the flip-flop. I think touched on that at the end where as white people became informed, about this environmental hazard and all this radioactive waste, they sold and moved out so-called white flight. Black people move in. That's how you have an increase in the population of black people there. Uh, I'm even wondering, are they as informed about all? Like, do they know? Like, when you factor in all of the, the racism and terrorism that we experience in school, and then it's not like, you know, race soldiers come and share all the great information with you and then easy to digest manner as we had great illustration this evening dr maurice um are they aware of these hazards or is this the same type of thing that we read about in a terrible thing to waste where a lot of times the black people are totally clueless and are just in these environments that are steeped with poison and ruining their health and even having an impact on their health for generations and they don't know or they are way less informed than white residents. Is this the type of thing that's, you know? Anywho. Any, anybody, anything else folks need to share? What about that huge plant in Tennessee that was only about 20 miles away from Knoxville? Uh, were any non-white people uh, in close proximity to that huge plant? She doesn't give as many details about that one uh, in her book. I think that's Paddock. Uh, I would have to go to get more of the 
exact stats just to do more research, learn a little bit about everything to see what the demographics of that region uh, were to see, yeah, if, if black people were harmed, if they were either working there and the same type of thing in bad conditions, or if they just had folks who were civilians who lived close to the facility and then got, you know, bad water, bad air, whatever, you know, the health ramifications. I have to do a little digging. Okay, thank you. I was just wondering about that because we're so close to an area that I think a considerable amount of black people stay at in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm. I will have to see. It would not surprise me, even if the, it's the old flip-flop, because that's you know so common, too, where it might be an area that started out where it was a lot of white people, and then because it became contaminated, now it's a lot of black people. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll mm-hmm. have to... And she actually does talk about that in the book. I did. I learned quite a bit reading this book because I didn't know that either. Uh, with the old flip flop with these contaminated type type of a thing. Uh, but yes, I will have to see if that applies to Tennessee at all uh, in terms of how black people may have been harmed. Okay. Any other folks comments? Everybody good. Grand, uh, great comparison as well to yesterday's guest. He said, no credit either way, both of them racist suspects, just different ways of how they practice racism, white supremacy. I mean, hey, the guest yesterday, she did say, yes, I'm a white woman. Yes, I participate in and practice white supremacy racism. So, uh, but yes, different presentations. I think she was a lot more forthcoming yesterday. It was a lot more of a, and we didn't have all that interrupting yesterday. Like she sit quietly, answer the question, wait her turn, and then yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, we shall continue. Like I said, I'm not sure if we will have a program tomorrow or not. Just have to double check. You can check online at Until Justice uh, for Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of it. Uh, and I will update as soon as I confirm as we move forward. Active summer of 2023 at minimum will be here Thursday. Catherine Massey Book Club, Sue Klebold, White Bombers. Man, there were folks, I think I even saw articles that were talking about the contamination at Rocky Flats in Colorado. Did that impact the folks in the Jefferson County Columbine area, uh, all those contaminants and what have you, did that have any impact there? Like, are you serious? Anyway, uh, much obliged folks tuned in live archive, hopefully worthy of your time and energy. Learn a little bit about everything. Really, motivation to get this problem solved ASAP because race soldiers will continue just contaminate everything now they can go out into outer space and just contaminate that too so chop chop let's get about the business replace white supremacy with justice asap sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy racism we already have enough toxins noxious fumes and what have you uh in the planet in our bodies let's just try to stick with good old clean air water that sort of thing Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims 
of white supremacy, we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to participate, to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling, no gossiping, no throwaway offspring. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.